Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. Well, we spent another week talking about college football, but we'll get validation tomorrow, 24 hours from now. Oregon State, Oregon, Portland State, the Pac-12 Conference, Hell, Arizona's playing Mississippi State. We're going to get some feedback tomorrow, or I guess another set of data, a larger sample size, so to speak, in the college football world tomorrow. But I, I'm left thinking about sort of the, the changes that are going on behind the scenes in college football, the expansion of the playoff, all this realignment. How tuned in are you? How distracted are you? How worried are you as a sports fan? that they're going to kill the golden goose. Money drives the bus, but money doesn't all the time reflect what fans are into. College football playoff is a great example of that. I think going from the BCS system to a four-team invitational tournament probably seemed like a great idea, probably made a lot more money. It was better than having two teams in. Hell, they'll pick four teams and put them in. But... It lopped off the entire western part of the United States and said, hey, you know what? It doesn't really matter. doesn't matter. You're not included. You're essentially the batteries on a Christmas morning toy. Not included. Uh, I want your phone calls. 503-417-7575. The health of college football. I want to talk college football in this segment. You watched the NFL last night. It kicked off amid a whole bunch of hoopla. With Thursday night football, the Bills were really good. They were ready. The Rams were not ready. Uh, it was really interesting to me to see an NFL team coming off a Super Bowl, knowing the stakes, show up for the season, frankly, just not ready. And But I think the NFL does so much right, and we talk about that all the time, that the NFL gets a lot right with fostering parity and interest and promoting sort of year-round discussion and getting the schedule right in the opening part of the season. We have some great matchups coming up this weekend. And and meanwhile, college football is kind of performing the hokey pokey behind the scenes. They are getting some of it right, one foot in, and some of it wrong, one foot out. And uh, for every great matchup that we get, or maybe a great early season matchup, we also get reminded that Utah losing in the opening week of the season makes it incredibly difficult for Utah to get to the college football playoff. They lose a game at Florida on the road against what might be a really credible SEC opponent in a, in a three-point game, but a loss. And suddenly, come Monday morning, the Utes are declared out of the college football playoff. Like, they don't matter. Like, everything that happens now in the next 11 games, plus the possible Pac-12 championship game, wouldn't matter for Utah unless they can go undefeated. I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. What's wrong with this picture in college athletics? Steven, what is college football not doing that it should be doing? Um, I think maybe putting 
together the big marquee games at the start of the year, right? We, okay. we were hoping to get it with Oregon, Georgia, but it turned out to be a blowout. And a lot of it is because it's the haves and the have-nots. Oregon's not a have-not, but there's definitely a difference between those two teams. You know, think about the Ohio State-Notre Dame game. It wasn't the most entertaining game, but you're putting two top five teams against each other, and it was a close game. I think they need to try to put the best teams against each other at the start of the season to get just more casual eyeballs on it. But as a college football fan, I love it. Like, I just love um, the whole process of how this all works out. So I don't even want a lot of change, but I think to get casual eyeballs, it's just to put the best teams against the other best teams earlier in the season. I think the geography is problematic. And I heard fans that were talking, like there were a lot of fans when USC and UCLA defected to the Big Ten that were brokenhearted over the loss of tradition and what's going to happen to the Rose Bowl. But there was a whole other segment of people who were like, Gosh, the entire western part of the United States is not going to matter. They're going to they're cha- they're running to the Midwest to matter in college football. Do you I think the geography has been problematic. The fact that when you look at the playoff teams, 8 years of the playoff, you have 32 playoff teams, only Oregon and Washington coming from anywhere west of Texas. The rest of that hasn't mattered and frankly, Oregon and Washington participating, Washington participated and played one game. Oregon played two games, semifinal and the championship game in the original year of the playoff. I feel like the entire part, western part of the United States uh, you know, participates in college football but knows probably beneath the surface that the programs in the western part of the United States aren't going to be part of the postseason. And for that reason, I think people aren't as into it. Like we get accused all the time in the Pacific time zone especially of not being – rabid college football fans the stadiums by and large are smaller in the western part of the united states than they are in the midwest and the south you don't have the horseshoe of ohio state you don't have uh you know lsu you don't have florida state you don't have um you know auburn and uh, alabama and michigan and yes you have the rose bowl and you have the los angeles coliseum but you, the images coming out of the Rose Bowl in the L.A. Coliseum are of 27,000 fans, in the case of UCLA in week one, sitting in uh, the sunshine, uh, largely uh, with nobody around them. So I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. You tell me what college football could do better. What could it steal from the NFL? I wondered, let me throw this one at you, Stephen, it's kind of wild, but I kind of wondered in week one, like, Oregon didn't look ready for the season. Kind of looked like the Rams last night, right? They just weren't ready for the season, or maybe they were overmatched, or I don't know what it was. But I kept thinking, like, you know, we all criticize the NFL for having this long preseason. But is there some logic in allowing teams at least to scrimmage a little bit? Like, I'm not saying you should play a real game and say, hey, we're going to have college preseason games, but should the NCAA say or the college football playoff or the conferences themselves say look uh oregon you've got oregon state in your own backyard annual scrimmage informal we'll send officials you can't sell tickets or maybe you do sell tickets and the money goes to charity or you don't keep score or you do keep score uh but just an opportunity for the teams to kind of procedurally go through the motions so that we don't get a team that shows up for a week one game that looks like they're in week seven, and another team that shows up looking like they haven't barely practiced. No, I think that's a good idea. Do you think that would motivate teams to schedule tougher and schedule a tougher opponent in week one or week two if they did get that practice against another team in? Because I'm with you. Some teams just look more ready than others, and I think you know there's teams that kind of come out of nowhere, right? Like if you're Utah, 
you definitely don't want to start your season off playing at Florida. You would have loved to get the Kings out against a lesser team, but that game was already scheduled. So would it motivate teams to, especially in the SEC, maybe play some of the better Pac-12 teams or the better Big 12 teams on the road? Yeah, I, nobody wants to lose a game. And that, I think it comes to that first and foremost. Like, nobody wants to lose a game. And so I think the real trouble comes, like, everybody wants to, cut, to schedule the cupcakes because they can win them, win that game in week one, work out the kinks, get a W, sell some tickets to the home fans, uh, and then they know they have to schedule one big non-conference game, preferably at home, so that their season ticket package looks good. So, you know, in UCLA's case, they should have been playing Michigan this week. They, that game was on the schedule. Michigan bought itself out, and instead UCLA is stuck. And, you know, after Bowling Green, they're getting South Alabama. This isn't going to be good. Nobody's going to show up again. But uh, what has happened now is, you know, the networks have figured out, like, we can't get Oregon to play Georgia unless we're going to pay them both because neither one of that, those teams wants to lose the game. And so Oregon kind of justifies it by going, look, we're getting $4.5 million to go to Atlanta and play this game. This is going to be great for us financially. And, oh, if we win it, it's a big deal. But if we lose it, we could also kind of justify that, it, hey, it's Georgia. This is an SEC team. So Oregon takes the game. Georgia takes the game because it's essentially a home game. And, oh, by the way, Georgia got $5 million to play the game, not four and a half. So Georgia got more money. And Georgia got a chance to get a, a quality win against a Pac-12 opponent that was traveling across multiple time zones to get to you. So I think there's a real scheduling issue going on, especially if there's just a four-team invitational tournament. You can't afford a loss. You, can't, you cannot go to the end of the season and have two losses. So I think it's really put some pressure on the colleges to schedule differently, schedule lighter, or schedule the best game you think you can win. And I think that's what we're seeing in most cases. Now with the expansion of the playoff I, and the accessibility, the ability for Utah, for example, under the 12-team playoff to schedule whoever they want in the early part of the season. And, oh, by the way, if you win your conference championship – you're probably getting into the playoff. Um, I think it opens up a whole other realm of possibilities when it comes to non-conference scheduling. I think we'll see some better games. Uh, let's go to Josh in Vancouver. I got a line open at 503-417-7575. Josh, what's wrong with college football? So, John, let me let me take a step back before I give you my opinion of, of just college football in general, and let's just focus on our region in general. Um, I've got a little bit of I'm star, I've started over the last maybe four or five years to develop a little bit of a different opinion and that different opinion is this you know we can talk about you know bad commissioners that have been hired bad decisions that have been made we can talk about all of those things and I think all of those things are contributing factors but I think the biggest kind of mistake that has happened in the last two decades with the Pac-12 conference and really all of the teams on the West Coast is their own arrogance. And what I mean by that is this. For the last two decades, as college football was changing, as sports was growing, and media was pushing all of the money into sports, college fan bases on the West Coast made themselves believe that 100,000 C stadiums didn't matter. Playing big-time college sports didn't matter. Prioritizing sports above other things didn't matter. Then they hired a conference commissioner that was what came in and said, you know what, we think that everything that the SEC does and the Big 12 does and the Big 10 does is great, 
but we're smarter than everybody, and we're going to cut our own path. And that arrogance has continued, and this whole time that, that the West Coast and the conferences and the school presidents have been making themselves believe that they were better and smarter, they were falling behind day by day by day. And now we're in a position where the media companies have now come in and taken complete control of college sports, and they have no desire or interest for anything that the Pac-12 schools and the Pac-12 conference has to offer. And it's nobody's fault but their own, their own president, their own conference commissioner, and their own fan bases. That's my opinion, John. Yeah. Look forward to your I, I think the I think the presidents and chancellors did a lot wrong, and I think they hold a lot of responsibility, especially when it comes to enabling uh, the conference commissioner, Larry Scott, in this case in the Pac-12, uh, enabling him for so long and 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 not seeing through his act. That said, the, when you go to the southern part of the United States and you go into the Midwest, I've lived in both regions. I've covered the Big Ten as a beat reporter. I've covered Notre Dame as a beat reporter. I've I have, uh, you know, been in the been in the South. I have lived in the South. I've lived in Tallahassee. I have covered games in the SEC and the ACC footprint. There's a different mentality among the fan base. It's generational. Uh, it's unhinged in some cases. When you go into, you know, Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana, there are unhinged fans that take a large part of their disposable income and say, "This is what we do as a family. This is our thing." I don't see that same connection in the western part of the United States, and I think it, it, it has to do with sort of the transient population that is in the west, like everybody came west, right? Well, there are families that have been in the Midwest and in the south for generations upon generations upon generations. I don't think that, by and large, those families give up their season tickets. I think they just sort of assume that this is what we do on a college football game day. I was really surprised as a beat reporter when I got hired in 1998 to go cover Notre Dame. I was covering Notre Dame football, right? I, I had seen Rudy. I had known the Notre Dame fans that were on the western part of the United States. The Notre Dame fan that I encountered growing up on the western part of the United States in the Pacific time zone was an affluent fan who had adopted the Notre Dame brand, who liked to wear the Notre Dame gear, who rooted for Notre Dame. Maybe they didn't even go to Notre Dame, but they were buying into what NBC and everybody else was selling. When I went to go cover Notre Dame, I walked through the parking lot and I was blown away. It wasn't the same fan. It was blue collar. These were families. It was Midwestern families from South Bend, Indiana and the surrounding area who just did this on a Saturday or a Sunday. And I said, where has this fan been? Where is this thing? Because it didn't exist at Stanford or Cal or UCLA or USC or anything I'd seen in the western part of the United States. It was more like the South. It was a little unhinged. I want your phone calls. College football, what could it, what could it do better? Are you losing interest as a fan? 503-417-7575. We're going to kick around the games of the weekend. we got big guests like Derek Anderson, former Pro Bowl NFL quarterback. He's going to be joining us, talk about something exciting going on tonight, and much more. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Now, I'm not saying college football should have a suggestion box at the stadium. It's not the worst idea. But I am saying that like nobody asks fans, what's wrong with this game? What's wrong with this picture? How could they do it better? 
And I think there's some good ideas out there about how this could be better. 503-417-7575 is the number. I want your take on that. Derek Anderson, former Oregon State quarterback, Pro Bowl quarterback in the NFL, is having his number retired tonight at Scapoose High School. He will be honored, the number 14, uh, going up in the ring of honor at that high school. Uh, DA is joining us at 4 o'clock. Once you hear for that, we'll talk about Oregon State, we'll talk about the NFL, we'll talk about being a quarterback. Eric's in Lake Oswego. What's wrong with college football, Eric? Uh, hey, John. Uh, yeah, well, one of the first things, if, I, if I'm a casual fan tuning in at the beginning of the year and I'm watching Alabama playing, uh, you know, Bill and Ted's Excellent State University and the score is going to be 73 to minus 14, uh, I'm going to lose interest right away. So they need to get rid of these ridiculous games that they have at the top of the season, you know, out-of-conference games to uh, and, and have those competitive games generate interest right out of the gate. And your previous caller was talking about the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the network's utter control of, of, uh, of college football. That is a huge problem. Unfortunately, I think what we have is a situation that is uh, too big to fail. So I don't know if this is fixable. It's going to be like a uh, uh, in closing. It's going to be like one of these uh, uh, books of laws where they just start adding things on top of adding things. Yeah. It's going to continue to be a mess, and nobody's going to back away from the dollars. Where I think that would generate an improvement in the overall user experience. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe part of what college football is trained to do, like if I give it the benefit of the doubt, all this realignment stuff, whatever, going to mega conferences, maybe they are trying to align this more like, hey, quality conference, quality conference, let's weed out the small colleges and let them do their own thing. Like, you know, I think that's the next phase of this, and nobody's talking about it really. I am talking about it with some of the athletic directors they are now, uh, after the college football playoff stuff gets voted on, what you're going to see happen in college athletics is there's going to be a lot of discussion about minimum standards. You know, How many trainers do you have to have? How many administrators do you have to have? How many sports do you have to have? And the aim of that isn't based on improving the quality of the games for fans. No, 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 no. What do you think the major colleges who are – uh, you know, spending a lot with coaches and programs and sports and trainers who are fully staffed are, are trying to do. They're trying to weed out like the Big Sky Conference and say, look, if you don't meet minimum standards, you don't get to have a team go as an automatic qualifier to the NCAA tournament. So that is going to be the next phase that happens. It doesn't have to do with college football, but the big guys are going to want to keep more of the money when it comes to the NCAA tournament. That minimum standards thing is coming down the pipeline. Steve is in Dallas, Oregon. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me call. I think a uh, big problem is there's just too many teams. Hmm. You've got 100 teams. So if we could do something like soccer, where you've got divisions, and every year the bottom couple teams in the top division drop down, the next division, the top couple teams go up, and maybe you have 50 teams in each division, I don't know, but then you win and you get to be where you're at. And then you have multiple playoffs. It'd be a little bit more like basketball where you got the NIT, you got the March Madness, and then you win, you move up, you lose, you move down. There's not a Vanderbilt in the SEC anymore. They're down with Wake Forest somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, there's 131 teams 
that are in the football bowl subdivision. That's that's you know major college um, football teams. Now the FCS, the football championship subdivision, which used to be one double A, um, that's Portland State and some others. They have another hundred and thirty teams. So that, you're talking about 261 teams. So I think the caller is right. With them, there, there are a lot of teams out there. Mike's in Portland. Mike, welcome. One of the problems with the pricing, the, the college football has kind of gone to the uh, what, like StubHub or a concert hmm. series kind of deal where they're doing a thing called dynamic pricing. Yes. And uh, like tickets for the uh, World Series, the College World Series. Uh, my team was in there, and the pricing was absolutely crazy based on the market kind of deal. So you can forget about what the prime, the printed price ticket is. Uh, this, this is a bit, it's a bid up process, and it's just it's just pricing it out. And then the, the boxes that these people are building, you know, the suites and all this yes. kind of deal, is just becoming crazy to be a season ticket holder anymore for a family. They, yeah, and I think you know what you are saying is they're chasing revenue, right? Even Oregon State is doing it. They're downsizing the west side of Racer Stadium. But what they're going to do is they're going to have more premium seating. They can charge more for the seats they do have. I think it's smart. But what Mike in Portland is calling about is he's ca- talking about airline-style pricing. Uh, you know, demand drives. How many seats do we have? How many days until the game? Uh, the demand will drive the price. Uh, I, I just think that is a problem in general. I think you're pricing out families. And, and again, in the first segment, I talked about how generational some of those experiences are in the South and the Midwest. How do you have a generational experience if you can't afford to buy tickets as a family of three or four or five? Like I, my brother, he has three kids. He is a school teacher. His wife is a speech therapist. Like, you know, it, it's expensive to go to a college football game. Like, how do you do that? Uh, John's in Klamath Falls. John, appreciate listening to the show. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about what you were mentioning about scrimmages and stuff. I think that's a heck of a good idea, you know, with Oregon, Oregon State, maybe getting together. or uh, What we've done in the Pop Warner League and, and even on high school level football is, you know, we get pick a Saturday or a Sunday, we get four or five teams together and just play, play football as kind of like a jamboree. Each team gets ten plays, go in each direction, and, you move, move over to the next uh, uh, school or team that you don't play, and I think that would give coaches what we found out, give us something on film to go back and look over with our players and say, hey, look, this is what you could do better. Hey, you yeah. missed this gap, and you could have cut to the right and got another three yards, you know. So I think that's a good idea. And all the other calls had good ideas about what's good for college football. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate it, John and Klamath Falls, because it's – I think when we start gathering a bunch of ideas, we start to get a consensus on you know what problems this game has. Too many teams, too much money to get into the games. I, I think one of the big problems is you know I don't necessarily want a preseason for the college. I don't think it makes any sense, but I just don't like the idea that the week one games mean so much, and the teams haven't had a chance to get on the field and you know get sort of some live fire, get some live action. Like you know even if it's a Hey, we're going to do a joint scrimmage, uh, you know, pair up with your rival school. We'll send officials. I just wonder how much better the games would be if we got that. Casey's in Beaverton. Casey, what's on your mind? Hi, John. Hey, uh, I going back to your golden goose comment, killing the golden goose, etc. cetera. Um, I've actually been calling in periodically on the same subject for about six months or so. So I'm super glad that it's sinking in. And I, I think 
people have to look even further ahead than you're talking today. It's, it's revenue that makes all the rules, and the actual driver of the bus isn't, isn't quite really the money. It's the SEC and now, to a lesser extent, the Big Ten. Hmm. That's never going to change. So it's time for everyone to recognize you've got to rip the Band-Aid off. And as you just mentioned a moment ago, all of the remaining schools so that we can preserve college football and college sports and they can all still pay in an equitable manner, they need to, quote, invite the two Super Leagues to form their own league, which I think they would want to do so they don't have any NC2A restrictions. They can make all their own rules. And then as a group, the 100, the 100 105, 95 teams, however many it is, can then negotiate with those uh, broadcasters that are left who would like to become bigger uh, and negotiate as one group. You still have NC2A football. Uh, they also make new rules that ensure that the, there's some kind of revenue sharing, something more equitable so that uh, they actually become more successful, like the NFL, once they got true parity. They actually became bigger, not smaller. Yeah, yeah so, and it may and it may that, get there. And there's one last, but there's one yeah, last. Go ahead. Yeah. The last thing is, so that this can't happen again, you have to truly cut out the cancer. So the two super leagues need to be on their own, all sports, not just football. All sports, they do their own thing. They are not allowed to come back in without, let's say, a hundred percent agreement on individual schools who are fleeing like a Vanderbilt or somebody when they realize it's becoming inequitable. Yeah. Um, but otherwise they're not even allowed back into the group period. So that yeah, So you're saying make them, spread. you want to go off on your own, go off on your own. My concern with us waiting to kind of have this settle down is that by the time it does, we're all going to have lost interest in it or a large part of the country will have. I think here's a dirty little secret. I think it's why the presidents and the chancellors of the universities stepped up and expanded the playoff where the commissioners were sitting around fighting over how many teams should get in and what the automatic thing, you know. They did this, uh, I think, to stabilize college athletics. I think they got tired of seeing the uncertainty and the wobbling and what's happening in the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and whatnot, and they said, look, we need to give access to everybody because that decision was not rooted in the spirit of the SEC or the Big 10 wanting to keep it for themselves. Uh, I think it was rooted in trying to get some stability into the game. David Lucas is coming up. His dad was Maurice Lucas. He's going to talk to us about the Maurice Lucas Foundation. Derek Anderson, former Oregon State quarterback at 4 o'clock. I want you here for it. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. You know how there are people who, when you see them or you bump into them, you just smile? Every once in a while, I bump into David Lucas, former Oregon State star basketball player, uh, son of Maurice Lucas. I run into David Lucas. He just has this glow about him. He's got a great smile. I see David Lucas. I get a good feeling. David Lucas has got a story to share. Uh, he's joining us now. How are you, man? I'm good, man. You always crack me up. I love it. <laughs> I love it, man. You, uh, you, uh, what are you up to? What are you doing? I am working on this gala for tomorrow, man. It's, it's 500 guests. It's going to be packed and excitement around it. And I'm just trying to power through the last day so we can get this party started. 
Yeah, it's like a wedding. Like you, you're planning a wedding. Like it happens once a year, and you know. And I know that uh, your your father and his legacy are important to people in our region. So I want to give you a chance to tell people how they can get involved. But give us an idea. The Maurice Lucas Foundation. Um, to help us out with kind of what the mission of the foundation is and and how that fits. The mission is teaching life lessons through education and sport. And we created a program that starts in sixth grade. So kids enter into sixth grade. It's an 11-year comprehensive program from middle school to high school to post-high school. And uh, we focus on our seven pillars like respect, leadership, integrity, goal-setting, personal responsibility, and hard work, positivity. And we teach it in the classroom. Then we have a gym portion where we will take that same pillar of the week and we will relate it to a sport and bridge that gap between the two. We have tutors that come in and educate and help the kids with their homework and projects and assignments so they don't take it home with them. We have educational field trips, college campus tours, financial assistance programs, job shadows, internships, SAT, ACT training help. You name it. It's a very in-depth program, and we're just adding more and more resources each and every year i love this uh it's supporting kids i mean that's in a in simplicity it's just supporting kids isn't it i mean there are some kids out there that need to feel supported need resources need to learn lessons uh not just through sports but education and you guys are blending those two things together absolutely and 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 right now the need for you know a safe space and mentors and positive people and family members. Um, you know, it's like a family. You know, all of our staff and all of our all of our volunteers are so involved and connected to the kids, their siblings, and their parents. So it's a it's a wraparound course where we support the entire family, not just the students. And um, the need is very large right now. We're just trying to do our part and, and give back. It takes the village, is what they say, and you know, we're part of that village. David Lucas with us, former Oregon State basketball star, son of Maurice Lucas. Uh, if you're a Blazer fan, he needs no introduction. Give me an idea of, you know, the the impact that maybe sports and education had on your dad's life and then in turn your life because I think it's just really interesting to see how this sort of thing ends up where it is today. I think, I think uh, me and my dad – or can relate in certain areas, but in his world, you know, sports saved his life. And I think it helped save his family's life, too. You know, he grew up in the project, very rough neighborhood, and single mom and two other siblings, and it's just a completely different uh, situation than how I was raised. But he used sports as an outlet to get out of that situation in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and and uh, without it, you know, who knows where he'd been. Like, my uncle did over 20 years in prison, and he didn't have the ability that my dad did when it came to sports and, you know, hanging out with the wrong people. And it, it could have been easily my father that, that had took that same route. So if it wasn't for sports, you know, I don't think that he would have been in the position that he's in now, obviously. Um, and then for me, you know, just being able to go to Oregon State and earn a scholarship and, pay for school on my own and be able to play professionally overseas and just kind of follow my dad's footsteps was, you know, was awesome. And it led to so many opportunities. You know, it's not just playing a sport. It's the camaraderie of being with your team and traveling with them and having another entirely, you know, huge family that supports you and, 
and that you called your family. So um, it leads to so many different things, and the opportunity is amazing. The event that you have coming up tomorrow, uh, how can people get involved? How can they support what you're doing? So we have a lot of things going. We have like 148 auction items. You know, 12 of them are live auction, and they can't be bid on. Only one of them can, and that's the Domain Serene uh, Vertical from 1990, a bottle from every year all the way to 2019. And Evan and Ryan at Domain donated that. They've never done it before. It's the very first time. It's starting out at $7,500. But all the other items can be bid on online. Go to ml20.org. And you guys can register and, and bid on those auctions. We also have the golden raffle ticket where you can select, if you do get picked, you can select one of seven live auction items as your prize if you mm. win that. And those are 100 bucks, and you can get those online too. But that's the easiest way to get involved. You can make a flat donation as well. But we have so many awesome items from low-ticket dollar items to the high, you know, $15,000, $20,000 items. So there's a lot of trips, a lot of experiences all across the world i'm on the website right now and it, for people who want to check it out go to ml 2022 is that right is that or yep, is yep. it ml ml 20 is that that's the main website uh, right ml20.org and it'll, it'll okay. have a link to the main website uh, okay so i'm there in one of the packages uh, i mean a ton of uh experiences which i know people love you can go to maui you can stay in a maui penthouse you can go to black butte ranch you can go. There's an Italian package for uh, people who want to get out of town. You can go to Italy. There's Blazer stuff. There's a uh, Bill Russell yacht. Yeah, there's a lot of things, man. The the 171 bottle wine chiller with 18 cases of wine from various different wineries like Domain Serene and Stoller and Dr. Lucin and um, Erickson Sellers. There's a whole bunch of different uh, packages that you can bid on for sure all right and david was talking about 250 golden raffle tickets that will be sold it's 100 bucks per ticket and if you win that you can choose from the choose your own vacation you can go uh, to to that one week stay in italy the black butte thing i mentioned uh the stoller family estate wine cottage you basically get to stay out on the winery uh you and uh five other guests so Go to ml20.org to see those. You don't have to be present to win. You can do this online if you want to support. And if you want to make a donation, you can help kids. You can help kids that are interested in education and sports. You know that's near and dear to my heart. I think our audience gets it. David, uh, you know, I, I meant what I said, man. Whenever I see you, I bump into you maybe like once a year. I'll be in a restaurant. There's David Lucas. I'll be at a movie theater. There's David Lucas. I always smile when I see you. That's a good feeling, man. I always, I always shout you out. That's why. Is that John Cazano? The one and only John Cazano? Oh, man. We got, got to get his autograph. He is famous over there. I love it. Uh, appreciate you, man. Uh, all right. So uh, beyond the auction, beyond tomorrow, uh, are there volunteer opportunities with the foundation? If listeners are saying, hey, look, I'd love to help, but maybe I can't make a donation. Do you guys have stuff like that that... Are you looking for people to help get involved and help uh, support your dad's vision and your vision? Absolutely. We have several different opportunities. You can volunteer at our school, at one of our academies, like Harriet Tubman, our Park Rose Middle School. You can tutor the students. You can volunteer in the gym. We have a bunch of field trips to different college campuses and that volunteers um, are needed for 
And then all of our events, we have our celebrity golf tournament in July. We have our big gala where, you know, we probably need 50 to 60 volunteers for each of those events. And um, there's opportunities across the board. It's all on our website under uh, volunteers. All right. David Lucas, now make sure you hydrate. This is a big event tomorrow. We don't need you passing out on stage. Hydrate and get a good night of sleep. I'm drinking a glass of uh, Domain Serene Evanstead right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the hydration I'm talking about. I got you. I drink lots of water. All right, man. Let us know how it goes, and good luck to you, and appreciate what you're doing for kids. I will. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. All right. There's David Lucas, Maurice Lucas Foundation, ML20.org. Check out the uh, auction items. It's uh, it's a pretty interesting um, you know, beyond being at the event, it's an interesting way and a fun way for you to support uh, the foundation and also support kids in the community. Coming up, our big splash, Derek Anderson, former Oregon State quarterback, joining us at 4 o'clock. We'll talk a lot of football on today's show. You got the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Beckham Jr. is a free agent, but he spent Thursday night with the Rams, participated in the uh, pregame Super Bowl celebration. Uh, The Rams had to report his presence as a visit, which they did uh, to the NFL today. Um, His heart, he says, remains with the Rams. So uh, they have left the light on for his return. Stephen, is Odell Beckham Jr. the missing piece for the Rams? I mean, they looked like they could have used him last night. That's for sure. Um, I had heard a rumor, and I'm trying to Google this right now, uh, that he still has a locker in the locker room hmm. for the Rams. Like, they've kept it out for him. So, uh, yeah, Rams are keeping a locker open for Odo Beckham. So I think yeah. I think he's bound to come back to L.A. You know, he had a great run there before he tore his ACL. Uh, looks like he's going to have a big Super Bowl as well. So I think he's I think he'll be back. I mean, he yeah. seems to love it there. Pro Football Talk, NBC Sports, uh, is reporting that they have – left a locker with his name on it in their locker room. I mean, it Which seems you, like a pretty good yeah. sign that he wants to be back and they want him back. Is he pulling a Tom Brady here? Does he just not want to go through training camp, do all that stuff? He's just I'll get you in week four or so when I'm ready. Well, no, because he, he tore his ACL, didn't he? Yeah. yeah no, that's, that's right. right. That's right. That's right. So, but they're leaving the light on for him. So what does that mean? Like, you know, I do think, like, Cooper Cup looked really good, though. I mean, that was the bright spot, right? He's getting the ball. But if you're, uh, if you're Odell Beckham Jr., when could he be back? When you know, would it, when would he be back? Well, he tore his ACL in February, yeah. and usually it's about nine months, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so so I think you know, second half of the season, November, December. Yeah, that's right. I had forgotten about the ACL tear. According to uh, Adam Shepard, he won't return from injury until Thanksgiving, at least. That's perfect. So you come in at the end of the year. Super Niners should be going after him. Like put him out there with Trey Lance. Give him a target. Yeah, fresh legs. I mean, he's going to help somebody out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, 
I, the I NFL. Don't, I don't think the Rams are. I, maybe this is just overreacting to Week One, but it feels like you know Andrew Whitworth, their stud tackle, he retired. Uh, their offensive line didn't look good. Matt Stafford's had the elbow thing all off season. He didn't look good last night. Um, I just you know I I could see the team. It's a lot of superstars on that team. They got their title. I could see a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover from them this year. It happens. I mean, you know, it, it happens in all sports. I think you know you get so maniacally focused on winning and doing everything that is possible to win, get lined up. But that was a team that went all in last year. They got to the promised land. They got by the Niners in the playoffs. They got to the Super Bowl. They proved they were the best team. They had the parade. Aaron Donald got his contract. You know what happens when guys get contract? Got his got forty million a year, forty million more dollars, and all of a sudden they don't look like they can beat anybody anybody on week one. But but it's that's what we do. We overreact. Like it's the NBA playoffs, right? Game one of a seven game series. What happens? Somebody wins. And we all go, man, we could never see that team losing. They're going to win this thing in four. This is over. They, you know, they don't have a chance. And then what happens? The other team comes back and wins game two. I, I'm going to wait. I think the right sample size is, I think you got to be about three or four weeks into the season. And at, and at that point, that's when you can declare somebody is gone or not gone. And the trouble with college football, again, if we can go back, is you don't have three or four weeks. If you lose two games in your first three, you're not going to the playoffs. You're done. And, yeah, and the NFL was 17 games now. I think you can't afford to have a little mini mini slump here, whether it's the start of the year, the middle of the year, or even the end of the year, and you can come back and play well and, and get back to the Super Bowl. Can, can I overreact real quick to last yeah, night's game? for sure. Let me ask you guys a question. Based on what we saw from the Bills and all the hype going into this season, amazing defense, Josh Allen looks like maybe the best player in the NFL How good could this team be this year? Could this team do something historic You know, in terms of their record? You're calling what seventeen and zero? You know, could they be like sixteen and one, fifteen and two, even? I don't they, know. Like, or they could they lose good. next Monday night against the Titans? You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's that. Here's, I mean, you look at their schedule. They got to play the Packers. They got the Chiefs and the Packers mm-hmm. in back to back weeks in October. You know, it's it's not all the New York Jets for them. You know, the Patriots are on that schedule a couple of times too. The Bengals are on that schedule. I don't see that. I I think they're really really good, and of course they're a contender. And the way they beat, the way they disposed of the Rams was, uh, you know, it felt to me like it was partially like Stephen. I think you're right in that, like the Rams look like a team that might have a hangover, but I also think the Bills look like a team that had a little bit of a grudge. Yeah, I mean, think about how they lost that game to the Chiefs, right? They let the Chiefs drive down the field in, what was it, 11 seconds or whatever, 12 seconds yeah. to allow that field goal. I mean, they had that win in Kansas City. They definitely, you know, I think you're right. The, the Bills are for sure a contender, and they showed last night why they are the betting favorites, and Josh Allen is the betting favorite to be the MVP. I mean, they they showed nothing against that. So I think the Bills are going to be awesome. I don't know, like, Sean, you said, you know, could they be historic? They might be, but I don't, I don't really put that on anybody because it just seems like such a – outlier to do that yeah i gotta wait in the nfl i and look in the nba we always say it's 20 games 24 games whatever some people you know want to see a little more last a little more i think in major league baseball you need to give them a month you watch the teams play and then you go okay can they address their shortcomings and uh the problem one of the issues i have with college football is that you don't have there's no there's no margin you know if you uh like oregon you know anybody now believe that oregon can win the pac-12 championship they could, but not the way they looked in week one. Uh, all right, brings us to our big splash. What's the one thing you need to know? I got it. This is 
The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. Must be the Big Splash. Well, Major League Baseball did what we thought they were going to do. They passed some significant rules changes that are designed to make the games more entertaining. They want to fundamentally overhaul the game. They implemented a pitch clock. They banned defensive shifts beginning in 2023. They want to increase the action, and they want to hasten the pace of the game. The league's competition committee, which is 11 individuals, uh, voted on this. They approved a pitch clock of 15 seconds with empty bases, 20 seconds with runners on. Defensive alignment must include two fielders on each side of the second base bag with both feet on the dirt. And there were some rules limiting pickoff moves. They also voted on expanding the sizes of the bases. The vote was not unanimous. Player representatives voted no on the shift and the pitch clock portion of the changes. But these are rules that have been tested in the minor leagues, especially the pitch clock, with some accelerated speed of game results. Uh, Minor league games this season have consistently clocked in at under two and a half hours. That's what baseball thinks is the ideal time. And average game times have settled in a little over two and a half hours. So keep an eye on Major League Baseball. They think this is going to improve the game. Will it improve the game? I don't know, but I like that they are trying something. I love baseball. I love baseball in its form. But I uh, agree with those who don't like the shift and don't like the pitchers who are taking too much time. Get on the mound, pitch the ball, get in the box, hit the ball. That's what baseball should be. It's the one thing you need to know. There you have it. Do you Guys, th- do you think, go ahead. Do you think that it will make the casual viewer more interested in watching a regular season baseball game, or is this just more to cater to like the playoffs when they have more people watching? I think it's probably geared towards, maybe geared towards television, trying to get the action moving and increase the ratings. Because I, I always think about money, what's in it. But I also think they're having a hard time with younger fans. They're having a hard time getting Sean interested in watching games, and that's what they want. They want Sean and his buddies to go to the ballpark, have a great time, get out of there in two and a half hours, go to wherever they're going to go after the game, and be happy. And so I think baseball is really interested in kind of moving things along. Derek Anderson's coming up, former Oregon State standout. He was the top high school football player in the state of Oregon when he graduated high school. And he decided to stay in state. It was a big, big deal. He went to Oregon State, and now his old high school, Scapoos High School, is retiring his jersey tonight. I'm going to ask him what it means, and we're going to talk a lot about Oregon State and the NFL. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Our next guest, I think he's a good guy. You know, I'll say that before I start talking about the football. I've talked to Derek Anderson over the years, always loved talking with him, loved the wisdom, the expertise. He's got both feet on the ground. He's got kids, so he can relate to stuff you and I are going through, right? But we're talking about a guy who grew up in Scappoose, Oregon. And he led his high school team to three state championships, three straight state championships. He's also a basketball star. He was the state player of the year in both football and basketball as a senior in high school. 
Think about that. That guy decided to stay in state and go to Oregon State. He grew up a Beaver fan. He wanted to play for Oregon State. He could have gone anywhere. He decided to stay in state, ended up in the NFL, Pro Bowl in 2007, Browns, Cardinals, Panthers, Bills. What's he doing now? Well, tonight at Scapoose High School, they're doing the coolest thing. They are retiring his jersey number. They are putting him in the ring of honor as the first player ever at Scapoose High School to go into the ring of honor. They're going to play a football game. They're going to play it on a field that has turf that is partially paid for by Derek Anderson, who made a donation to the high school. You're talking about a guy who is loyal to his soil. He stayed in the state of Oregon. He's taking care of his high school. I think they're doing the right thing tonight by retiring his jersey number. And he's joining us now to talk about it. Are you in the state of Oregon now? Did you fly back for this? Yeah, buddy. Uh, thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, yeah, I got in late, late last night and uh, just kind of been hanging all day here at the in-laws house getting ready for tonight. I love it. Hey, they're retiring your jersey number, man. How did that feel? When, Like, where were you and how did you find out they were retiring your jersey? Uh, Sean McNabb, the, uh, my head coach, he just called me randomly on a – I don't even know what day it was. Just kind of started chatting, and then kind of towards the end of the conversation, he's like, hey, what do you think about this? And I'm like, I mean, that's an incredible honor and something that's, you know, really cool. Obviously, uh, no matter where you went to school, it's, you know, it's something special. And, you know, I'm proud to have, you know, grown up here and, uh, you know, come back here. And, you know, it's, a, you know, it's just a special place to me, obviously. You know, when you I, I posted about this, and I, I started getting people who played against you in high school who remembered you playing in a game uh, back in the day where it was all muddy and rainy and you were in a clean jersey like Derek Anderson never got sacked, you know. It was, and it, it has to be a lot of fun for you to maybe reminisce a little bit. Will you see some of your former high school teammates tonight at Scapoose? Yeah, I think there will be, you know, a few of them. I've got some messages from guys uh, over the past couple weeks, and, you know, I'm really, I'm really excited. There's a few guys I haven't been able to see over the years, and, uh, you know, they all have family, or we all have families now, and haven't seen their kids. So it should be a fun night just to kind of run, you know, run through some things. And, you know, I got just started thinking today kind of like what I might say tonight, and got a little emotional. I mean, it, it is because there's, just, you know, a lot, of, a lot of hard work that, Went into it a lot of you know grinding on that field and that weight room and kind of brought back a lot of cool things and I don't know how I'm going to do it tonight but I, I'll somehow make it through. <laughs> I think I think you'll do well, man. I mean I think you always speak from the heart and I think you know that that's important. When let's go back to high school. When you were in high school, uh, did you think NFL? Were you thinking like that's my dream? That's where I want to be and. Oregon State was obviously a school you rooted for. I mean, did you have it mapped that mapped out, or how did that unfold for you? You know, I it, I just happened to be kind of decent at it. I, I really just went and played to be with my buddies, and uh, basketball was kind of my first love. And I got out there, and they flipped me a ball the first day and started teaching me how to run the speed option. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, I'd never, I didn't play quarterback till my freshman year, and. Uh, <laughs> So I mean, it was <laughs> it was interesting for for sure, but uh, not till probably like after my sophomore, maybe junior year, I was like, and maybe I need to start putting some you know serious work into playing football and started doing some camps and you know understanding the game a little bit more and 
uh, ran into Drew Bledsoe. I think I've told you before, but yeah. ran into Drew Bledsoe at a camp, and him and his dad worked with me extensively, you know, for five straight days. And then I really just took what they told me and the, the drills and things that they taught me. I took that and I did it every single day, or you know, every day before practice, and really just kind of honed in on it. And you know, I'm very appreciative of those guys, and always will be. Yeah, you think about the people you encountered, right? You 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 run into the Bledsoes. You had good coaching in high school. You had people that put their arms around you and supported you. And then you get to Oregon State, and you know you get you get Dennis Erickson as a coach, and you you get you look up and you got Stephen Jackson in the backfield, and you, you're kind of looking around like some things fell together. Hundred percent, and and you said it, you know, quite well. It's, you know, I didn't do it on my own. You know, there's a lot of people, and that's kind of my my talk tonight. Is there's a lot of people that helped me uh, get to where I'm at, uh, or was, and you know, it was driving me to games or practices. And you know, there's a lot of other people in this community and in this state that you know really kind of poured into me and gave me an opportunity to do what I did. When were you having the most fun playing football? <laughs> my mother-in-law just asked me that about an hour ago. And I, we talked about it for about a half hour. And I think, honestly, it was high school because there's you're just going out there and rolling with your boys. There's nothing. There's no stress. There's no pressure. There's, you know, you, at that time, I was very confident in my abilities. And, you know, you just kind of go out there and, all right, boys, we're better than these guys. Just go beat them. Like, and there's nothing better than that. You know, obviously, you get to college and things, you know, the intensity picks up and the pressure mounts and, and then you go to the NFL and you're playing for your paycheck every single practice. So uh, it has to be high school. And plus, you know, those those relationships that you have with those guys, uh, they last forever. Regardless if you, you know, don't see them for a while or come back. You know, my center uh, was going through a little bit of a rough time in, in life, of, you know, 2021, and he calls me up. And so I had him come down to Arizona and we spent a week together. And I hadn't seen the guy in five years. So. Wow. Uh, you know, I mean, like that, that kind of bond, that kind of relationship, those things don't, you don't lose those. Derek Anderson with us, uh, Scapoose High School retiring his jersey uh, tonight, putting him in the ring of honor as the first person at Scapoose going into the ring of honor. I know that community is insanely proud of you. Oregon State fans are proud of you. Uh, in the NFL, you last played in Buffalo, I think it was 2018, 2019, did do you miss it? Do you miss camp? Do you miss when games start? Do you kind of turn it on and go, man? I could I do like could you put the helmet back on and go out there one more time? I would I would love to. Uh, my son actually said to me last night, asked me why I wasn't playing. We were watching the game on the plane on the way up. He's like, Dad, why don't you play? He's like, I want to watch. And I was like, <laughs> that was the only time that I was like, man, I wish that I would have, you know, kind of hung on a little longer and, you know, cause he was three or yeah, he was three when I retired. So he barely remembers even going to games, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't miss camp. I, mean, I definitely miss the locker room and I miss being around the guys and, but I, I kind of get my fix a little bit. I, I kind of stay in touch with Josh and they'll FaceTime me from the meeting rooms and get my little fix here and there, which is kind of nice. Yeah. And I kind of feel like, there, there's probably someday a place for Derek Anderson, either as a coach or a consultant, or working with young QBs, or, or maybe it's your kid that you know that that will become a quarterback one day. Like you know, could you see yourself in that coaching role? I'm there right now. I'm coaching two basketball teams and a flag football team, and unfortunately, <laughs> we're on a 5:15 flight tomorrow morning because we have a 10 o'clock. Uh, first basketball game for my son and a one o'clock for my daughter. So 
I, I mean it. I mean it. I have I had a wonderful group of boys uh, last year, and you know they were they're up in the eight U stuff now. So, but I, I really do. I really enjoy the younger kids going out there and kind of just getting them into the game. Uh, I got a bunch of kids on my team last year, uh, huge Buffalo Bills fans because that was our team, yep. and so now they're they're all over it, which is which is kind of awesome. Last night, I mean, the Bills looked like they could do no wrong. The Rams looked like they could do no right. Like, help us understand what we were seeing last night. I thought it Josh played incredible. Obviously, uh, Collinsworth told everybody about it the whole time, but he uh, he made unbelievable decisions. Uh, he's grown so much. You know, early on, it was everything you wanted to throw down the field, down the field, down the field. And, you know, and he he really just worked underneath and you know took his opportunities when they were down the field. And, you know, and defensively, uh, that defense is going to be nasty the whole year. I mean, they rotated that defense. My guy Poyer got a pick. Uh, you know, I, I just think that they've they've built a strong culture in that locker room, and it doesn't matter the guys that you bring in, they they get on board quickly. You know, it's, there's no, like, uh, they're bouncing around. They're in there. They know what they're there to do. They're there to win a championship. And it's, and it's spoken out loud. And, and I think that that culture – We'll take them a long ways. Give us an idea because, you know, you, we, we've seen teams that win Super Bowls that are incredibly talented, and they seem to not come back the next season maybe with the edge they had before. Conversely, the way that Buffalo lost last year in the playoffs, I have to think those guys were thinking about it all off season. 100%. Um, it's, it is very difficult. And, you know, I've been on a – was lucky to be on a lot of – pretty dang good teams and uh you know one thing that we always said going the off season is you got to start over you got to you really got to start over and start with the basic day one install stuff because you didn't get there you didn't just finish you know you get to where you finished last season you got to start the whole process back over and kind of forget everything that you did um and i think that's where the teams that you see they come back the next year and go eight and five or eight and seven or whatever the heck it is now you know, it's uh, it's just they get complacent and don't really put the work in. I saw it firsthand with our team in Cleveland. You know, it was there was half the guys were on board and understanding that we need, you know, really needed to dig in, and there was half the guys that were like, oh, we got it, well, and then we went out the next year and we were five and twelve or whatever the heck it was. <laughs> yeah, I I always look so at it's it's it's, tough. it's yeah, just I... hard. It, it really is. It is hard. And, and, you know, everybody in that league is good. I mean, you you look around, and there's so many talented, amazing players. Give us an idea of a guy that you think doesn't get a fair shake with fans. Who pops into mind when I say that, that fans don't understand how talented this person is, They or, they, or maybe they're too hard on this person? Who is that guy? Mm, the first guy that kind of comes to mind is Derek Carr, to be honest. Mm, yeah. Um you know, I think he's a fantastic player. He's a you know great leader. I know a lot of guys that played with him that really like him uh, because he's not real fancy. He's not a huge name that really the NFL kind of pushes. He kind of gets bagged on a little bit, but I think he's you know he's a fantastic player, and I, I think he's going to do some awesome things this year. Derek Anderson with us, Scapoose High School retiring his jersey number. Now, is it fourteen that's going up there? Like no one else will wear fourteen? Is that it? Yeah, that's it. The uh, kind of wish I would have wore the three the whole time, but uh, 14 the only jersey that they had available my my uh, freshman year, and I just stuck with her. 
it, do you know if there's a is, is there a kid right now wearing 14 that you're gonna have to take the jersey off him and say sorry bud you can't wear it anymore or what's going on uh no they it hasn't been worn for since i was here but there's been a there was a few kids that uh i think tried or wanted to because uh, early on like a lot of the younger kids in town you know and pop warner and stuff started wearing 14 and then they got there and like and coach just never gave it to him, but <laughs> kind of kind of a cool deal. It's, you know, it's because I know a lot of the kids in this community, and it, it's it is really cool. Yeah, it's interesting to me for me because I covered you as a college kid, and then I watched you grow, and insanely proud of what you did in the NFL. And I got to be honest with you, like I know there were hard times. I talked to you, and I think after uh, you know that Cleveland experience where you had made the Pro Bowl in '07, and then. It got dark, and you know, you 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 came on the show and you talked about that, and I think that helps people to hear. Like, even NFL players can have dark times or struggling times that they have to get through, and I think that means a lot for people that may, you know may have been going through some stuff that you know you. I remember you coming on and talking about, you know, thinking about quitting, and you know, not you know, it wasn't any fun anymore, and you got through that. You end up in Arizona, Carolina, Buffalo. I mean, you played for a whole bunch more after that. Yeah, it was 100%. Yeah, we've talked about it before. But, yeah, I got in a tough spot mentally. You know, it definitely put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed. Uh, you know, it was something that I loved, and I was really having a hard time on and off the field. And it, it just it kind of beats you up. You know, you, you set an expectation for yourself, and you can't get to that point where you know, you could, you know, you know you're there, you know you want to be there, and it's hard to kind of get back. And then you get throw a bunch of other – self-inflicted curveballs in there and uh you end up with some some bad seasons and but ultimately in the end of it I, you know i got to when i got after arizona i just kind of came home i i was like if i really want to do this for an extended period of time i got to recommit myself to you know what i'm doing in the off season you know what i'm doing with my buddies in the off season um you know and i, I got another what seven years out of it after that so uh you know it's just it's just uh it's a mental battle at times. <laughs> well, you look at how long you played, right? And I, you're in the you're in the top one percent for having a career that long. And I know that, like you know, you probably think about the things that you didn't do. But look at the length of time you had. If I had gone to Derek Anderson as a sophomore in high school and said, "Look, you know, you're going to come into the league in '05. You're not going to leave till after 2018." That's that's a win, man. <laughs> yeah. I will say that my after my second year, my goal I wrote it on I wrote it down. I was like, I'm gonna play till I'm 31. That was my goal. So like in my brain, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna play to 31. And then I was not close to getting there. You know, I was getting close to going home and doing whatever. And and that was about the time that I was like, okay, we got to restart and we got to do it. And ended up getting to the Super Bowl with the Panthers and and made some memories that. You know, I'll never forget. Uh, you know, Buffalo was one of the funnest years I had, just being able to watch Josh, watch him work. And then when I was there, being able to talk to him and let him understand, like, hey, listen, I was here. Oh, clearly he's better than me. But I'm, I was here, and these little tiny things over the course of time can catch up, and all of a sudden you're back to zero again. And so just being able to kind of just share my experiences over the 13 years at the time when I was with him, was something that felt good, felt good for me, and you know, and he and I have had a fantastic relationship ever since then. Cam Newton, you played with him, you were teammates, you got to know him well. If he doesn't have that shoulder injury, uh, 
what are we talking about with his career? He's no question first ballot Hall of Famer. No question. Uh, one of the saddest things that I had to watch, honestly. I, I knew he was hurt. I tried to talk to him off the ledge and be like, dude, I got these. I can play these last five games. Like, just stop. Go get your shoulder fixed. Yeah. He's just such a competitor. And, uh, you know, it, it hurts me to, you know, to have seen his potential and what he did. I mean, what he did in such a short time span, too, is incredible. Um, but had he had another four or five years of the consistency and the way that he was playing and his ability to throw the football, there's no question in my mind he'd be first ballot Hall of Famer. All right. Your Beavers are playing at Fresno State tomorrow. You're probably going to pay attention hey, to that. Yeah. <laughs> I was there. I was there, man. <laughs> I'm not reminding you. I was there, though. Let me ask you. You like what you saw in week one? I did. I did. Uh, I got to watch the whole game. I, you know, I think they did a lot of uh, really good things. Uh, Trent Bray's got the defense rolling. You know, I just that was one of the things I was most excited about. Honestly, is Trent's opportunity. Obviously, playing with him and being friends and doing lots of cool stuff with him, uh, just to see what he was going to do. You know, he's been waiting a long time, uh, but the defense looks solid. I don't honestly, I don't think Boise was very good, um, which is fine. But uh, it's a, it's definitely a great start to the season and things for them to build on. All right. Uh, congrats to you. This is a big night. Uh, happy for you and your family. I'm glad that you guys are doing well and the kids are doing well and that you're coaching. Uh, that's where you belong around kids and uh, sports. And I, I think it's great that you're going out and Scapoose High School is retiring your jersey. And uh, it's it's all great, man. We'd love to have you back on at some point to talk some football, see how you're doing. But, D.A., I appreciate you making time for us. Thank you, bud, and it's always good. And, uh, yeah, like once we get into this little uh, little season a little longer, let's, uh, let's catch up. Yeah, I want to know what you think. I want you to watch, kind of watch Oregon State, Oregon. Tell me what you, you know, did you watch the Ducks in Georgia? I did. What did you did. see? I, I was, early on in the game, I was texting my buddies. I'm like, dude, there's guys wide open all over the field. I'm like, this could be a massacre soon. <laughs> yeah, what was and going it, on there in I mean, your mind? Was, it just, I, I just think just, the talent's not there yet. I mean, yeah. you go to the, the southeast, and you, I mean, I was there when I was in Charlotte, and just watching these guys uh, come in every single year, SEC player after SEC player, and I'm like, you're not even the best player on your team. You're not even close to the best player on your team, and you start for us. Like, you know what I mean? So it's just like, I mean, there's just a huge, huge gap that the West Coast needs to close, and until they can start snagging some of those big-time linemen, those, you know, it's going to be a struggle. I mean, you just those are the biggest, the fastest, you know, big skill, you know, defensive linemen, offensive linemen that you're going to find in the country. And we can't get them yet. <laughs> DA, you have a good night. Enjoy the celebration. You deserve it. Thank you, buddy. Always right. good. We'll talk soon. Okay. Derek Anderson, there he is, former Pro Bowl quarterback, NFL, Beaver, Scapoose High School doing a good thing tonight, retiring the jersey number 14. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Really good interview with Derek Anderson, the pride of Scapoose High School. If you missed it, get the podcast. Anna's popped into the studio. Anna, did you hear that interview or you miss it? I heard the tail end of it, yeah. He was really good. Steven, did you like it? 
I did, yeah. I thought he was very, uh, very intriguing. He's, I feel like when I'm talking to him, he's sitting around a campfire and, you know, he's having a beer <laughs> or, you know, whatever you do around a campfire. And he's just telling us stories about the NFL. Uh-huh. And Cam Newton and Josh Allen and, you know, the guys that he's played with. And uh, But his high school is retiring his number tonight. Scapoose High School, first number they've ever retired. They're doing that. Anna happens to be a big deal at Park Rose High School, guys. Oh, stop. She's in the Hall of Fame. Um, we can gloss right over that. What makes a good interview? I'm curious. When you say, "Oh, that was a good interview," um, it, it it isn't. It didn't matter that he was an NFL former NFL player. That's okay. not the reason. Right. Some people will go, "Oh, yeah," because I've interviewed pro athletes who are terrible interviews. Yeah. Okay, so that has, that's not the thing. Right. The thing is how candid they're willing to be, how authentic they're willing to be. Will they let their guard down a little bit? Mm-hmm. And I feel like. People listening to that interview heard him. I thought one of the best parts was when he was talking about coaching his kids' teams and coaching flag football and coaching basketball, and he's coaching a girls' team and he's coaching a boys' team. And so you get kind of a feel of who he is, and he's talking about his son, who is like three years old when he retired in 2018. His son on the plane last night was saying, you know, Dad, why aren't you playing? I would want to see you play. Hmm. And then the dad in him, we can all relate to this, wanting to please your kids or wanting to have your kids be proud of you. He says, that's the, he goes, that was one of the first times I said, gosh, maybe I should be playing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's something about parenting where you, you want your kids to be proud of you or you want, it, like, you want to do it for them. Yeah. So I heard that in him. And then he talked about the most fun he was having was in high school. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the NFL, and I've heard this from numerous players, it's the dream, it's the destination, it's the goal, but once you get there, it is, it'll slap you right in the face and say, hey, you know, everything you've done before here doesn't matter. You're fighting for your job every single day, every meeting, every practice. And yeah. there's a pressure there that I don't think the rest of us, a lot of us don't have that pressure Yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah, just the threat that you can get cut at any moment, you know, and the next person can replace you and wants to replace you. Yeah, and, and that is a ticking clock. Like you yeah. walk into the room and you have a clock around your neck and it's ticking down. Mm-hmm. But And people will say stuff like, well, they make so much money. Yeah. They don't. Yeah, but that's the natural reaction. That is. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like, most of us when we go to work, we have to perform. I have to perform on the show. Yeah. Okay. I have to write and write well mm-hmm. or people aren't going to read me. Yeah, that have, part of it yeah. everybody can relate you to. You relate to that. Yeah. But what you don't relate to is the idea that, you know, somebody's coming for your job every day mm-hmm. and it's going to end. It's a matter of when. And, oh, by the way, this is your dream. <laughs> Enjoy it, damn it. it be, because the players, by and large, I don't think they have – I think every – I think if you ask NFL players when the most fun they were having was – I don't think any of them are going to say right now in the NFL. Really? I don't think any of them are going to say that. Wow. I don't know. Steven, you've been around a lot of NBA players. You get the idea that those guys are having a blast, or would they like to go back to, like, junior high and just play? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's – because now it's more of a business, right? Like, it's your job, and you take it very seriously, so it's on your mind all the time. Where when you're a kid, I mean, you're literally playing just for the fun of the game, right? Like, I see my kids go out and play soccer, and – it's like, yeah, it's more fun when they win, but they're also just having fun with their friends. So I think there is there is a little bit of difference. I, I kind of agree with you. Our, our kids also play because we say you're playing. That's the end of the discussion. <laughs> that too, yeah. 
That's how I it don't want to play soccer. Well, you're playing. We signed you up. Get out there and get your shin guards on. Well, and I think with, like, the NFL and, to some extent, the NBA, too, it's just the constant battle against injury because the NFL is just such a brutally physical game that, you know, you're just trying to ward off a career-ending injury every time you practice or play, right? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a big part of that, yep. yep. And Derek Anderson, <laughs> my favorite part of the interview, aside from when he was talking about his kids, it was when I asked him about Oregon State going to Fresno State, and he cuts me off and he goes, I hate that place. <gasps> really? Because Why? when he last visited there, <laughs> I think it was 03. 2003. Yeah. See, Oregon State's 0 and 6 at Fresno State. Really? I T- didn't know that. It's a tough place to play. 0 and 6? It's a tough place to play. They don't joke <laughs> around over there. I'm Jeez. telling you. It, but here's the thing. He went there in 03. Oregon State was favored. Oregon State was probably the better team. Yeah. He had a horrendous game. He was like 14 of 48. I'm going off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I'll look it up and see how close I am. Yeah. He threw five interceptions. Oh. Okay. After the game, and and I've joked about him about this. Like I've talked with him about this over the years. After the game, Derek Anderson got on the bus. He didn't go to the locker room and change. He got on the bus with his shoulder pads and his helmet on. <laughs> okay. We were all wanting to interview him. Uh-huh. I wanted to talk to him. Uh-huh. I wanted to be like, hey, what happened? What went wrong? And he did not get off the bus. He wouldn't get off the bus. I was standing outside his window, like outside the locker room. He's on the bus. He's got his helmet on. He just was like, get me out of here. could not leave that place fast enough. Five interceptions. I want to go home. This sucked. (laughs) And it uh, it was difficult. It was a difficult season because I think there was a lot of pressure on him, but there was also... Uh, I think it was it was a tough thing to do to go there, and so he cut me off, and he goes, "I hate that place." <laughs> so wow. yeah, I pulled up the stats for him: fifteen for forty-four, two hundred eighty-five yards, one touchdown, five interceptions. Yeah. <laughs> hey, not bad. And not no bad. post-game interview. Yeah, no. <laughs> and I remember saying, I remember telling him after I said I lost a lot of respect for you. <laughs> that you would after you throw five touchdowns, you're happy to talk. Right. At five interceptions, you won't get off the bus. You know. Hey, he's but human. he was, you know, he's a kid mm-hmm. at the time. All right. Mm-hmm. I want you to start lining up. It's a Friday. We're going to play What's Your Peeve coming up. What's bothering you? Derek Anderson getting his jersey retired. That's not my peeve. But you can have a peeve today. Tell me what your peeve is. 503-417-7575. We'll share ours. Line up now. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Line up. We got two lines open. 503-417-7575. It's a Friday. It's time to vent. What's your peeve? Oh, that pisses me off. That pisses me right off. Call 503-417-7575 and tell Canzano. What's your peeve on the BFT? Brought to you by Revolution Dental Implant Center. A smile revolution, one day solution. Anna's laughing. Why? Why are you laughing? 
hilarious. Because there's a pause there. I have to wait. I have to restrain myself. I'm like a sprinter in the blocks, and I'm going, nope, don't go. I feel like we're in a nightclub with that music. That's right. We are in the club. So groovy. We are in the club. Uh, I want your peeve at 503-417-7575. Let's go to the phone lines. And then we're going to go around the room as well, and we'll give you our peeves for the week. Sean's and Sandy's going to lead us off. What's your peeve? Well, my pet peeve is usually people that are late. Because it's usually, you know, it causes a whole chain reaction through the day and maybe the whole week or God knows. You know, because one person's late, then it just throws the whole kilter off back sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, I, I try to be more relaxing. Most of my... I just try to chill out, be understanding. I don't know what they're going through. And so I usually don't have any pet peeves, but, you know, if, if you get one, please, people, try to be on time, be more respectful of others yeah. around you. It's just rude. It, it's, it's when someone's late, unless they have a good reason, like your car broke down, something, you know, there's a something out of your control. If you're just late, you're probably saying to the other people or signaling to the other people, my time's more valuable than yours. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. My peeve, if I can share this, that opens a line, by the way, at 503-417-7575. My peeve came up today. Anna and I were driving. There was an ambulance headed in the opposite <laughs> direction on a two-lane road. Oh, no. Okay? My, I, I had Red Elder who played in the old NFL as a driver's ed teacher, okay? Red Elder didn't mess around. (laughs) Red Elder told me, when you see an ambulance, you pull over. But over the years, I've become conditioned because I drive, and I've noticed this, that people, like if the ambulance is in the opposite lane going the opposite direction, people generally don't pull over. So the car in front of me, did not pull over. It just came to a stop in the lane. The stopped right in the middle of the road. Like no pull over to the right, no getting over to the side, nothing. And the car in front of them did the same damn thing. And all of a sudden, we're just stopped. We're not out of the way. We're not pulled to the shoulder of the road like we're supposed to be. We're just stopped. It feels to me like we half-ass that too often <laughs> in our society. If we're not going to stop... And pull over to the side and give a berth to this ambulance coming the opposite direction, we shouldn't be stopped at all. We should just continue to go straight. There's no point in just stopping where we are in the middle of the lane. That's my peeve. I'm guilty of that one. I definitely, uh, I, I oftentimes don't fully commit to the, you know, get out of the ambulance's way. <laughs> But I kind of just have to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what I think it is? I think we're all worried that the car behind us isn't going to honor it and they're going to pass us. We're going to lose our spot <laughs> in line. And, and so what I did, Anna got mad at me today because I said, why are we stopping? And she said, because there's an ambulance. And I said, yeah, but nobody's pulled to the side. Everybody just stopped. And I, uh, if the car in front of me had just kept going, I'm going to be honest, I wouldn't have pulled over and I wouldn't have stopped. Mm. I would have done what the person in front of me did. So maybe I'm somebody else's peeve. But I don't like going halfway on that whole thing. I think people just panic. I think they see the ambulance and they hear it. I, 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 I'm speaking from personal yeah. experience. And I don't know why, but like I freeze up in that moment. And I'm like, wait, what am I supposed to do? I've only been driving for like decades. And yet I still have this to do. moment of paralysis where I'm like, what's the right thing to do? Because I want to do the right thing. But sometimes it doesn't happen. Well, you didn't have Red Elder. 
as your driver, ed Red teacher. Elder. That's Jeff Garcia's grandpa. Oh, God. They are the first okay. grandpa grandson to play in the NFL. Really? Yep. They well, hold that distinction. Fun fact. Fun fact. Fun um, fact. What's your peeve, Stephen? Let's go to Stephen. So mine is uh, mostly a Twitter thing that has come out lately because football is back. Um, I keep seeing on my timeline, like, there's to be no more, or there's to be football every weekend until 2023. And I see it every second of the day, and I hate all those tweets, and I want to unfollow all these people that do it. Okay, so people who announce, hey. Just, just be more creative. That's all I ask yeah. for. I don't, I, you know, I'm not a guy that's going to fall into the trends here. Just give me something creative. Yeah, that is kind of a... Uh, it's just annoying to me. It's a cliche. Yeah. Because it's repeated so often. I've seen it, too. It's not funny. It's not creative. Just, you know... What are they saying? Okay, so, okay, I saw it this way. And it goes like this. Okay. So, the NFL week one is here. Yeah. But I saw it before the college football season. Mm -hmm. Somebody announced on Twitter, this is the last weekend that we're not going to have football on TV until 2023. This was before week zero started in the college game. Okay. And then I saw it repeated often by people. Basically, yeah. we're going to have football yeah. every no weekend. No doubt. Oh. That's what football okay. season is. Every weekend. Yeah. Do, do I not know this? <laughs> you know what we should do in the off season is we should, we should go, we're about to not have football <laughs> every <laughs> weekend until September. Uh, I, I'm in on that one. See, that's different. It's just thinking outside the box. I'm not, I'm not even mad about that one. <laughs> that's what the football widows will tweet. No more football until this day. Right. <laughs> Anna, what's your peeve? Uh, my peeve is, like, I don't understand how aeronautic engineers – can develop the kind of technology where we can circumnavigate the globe with millions of people flying around on airliner jets every day, but not splurge on the speaker that is on board the plane when the pilot cracks open that mic. Yeah. Most of the time... I'm like just about to nod off. Right. <laughs> in, you know, let's say it's like a 5 a.m. alarm call, an 8 a.m. flight, and it's a five-hour flight in front of us. I'm just ready to nod, like just at that moment where I'm ready to nod off and catch well, a few Ladies and weeks. gentlemen, is your captain speaking? And it is inevitably like a speaker that makes the captain sound like the teacher from Charlie Brown. <laughs> so if the pilot is saying anything of significance, I can't understand him. And it's usually followed by the flight attendant promoting whatever... Alaska yeah. Airlines Visa card deal is yeah. being offered and how many millions of points you will get if you sign up right now today. On the, Has anyone ever signed up for a credit card when they're flying? That's what I think about when I'm in the air. <laughs> I need another credit card. I need another credit. Today's the day. Today's the day when I should get my credit checked to see if I should sign up for this airline yeah. program. While I'm on this flight, <laughs> so, I might as well. I just don't get it. Like the, the, for the for the high level of technology that is involved in flying 200 people from one destination to the other, they can't figure out a speaker that doesn't blow out your eardrums every time it's open. And you're right about the interruption. It's right when you've got some peace. Yeah. They're like, this is a good time to make everybody jolt awake. <laughs> Sean, yeah. what's your pee? Okay, so last weekend I bought some Vans, like the shoes, um, mm -hmm. affordable shoes, good-looking shoes, like gray Vans. And then yesterday I went to the grocery store and I bought some blueberries. And so I'm wearing the Vans. I'm walking into my apartment. I spill the blueberries. 
And so it's going to be all right, right? You wash the blueberries, you know, no problem there. But the problem is with my new Vans, I step in the blueberries, and now there's a giant blueberry stain on my brand new gray shoes. Wait, isn't it It's on the bottom of the shoe? Where no, is like, the blueberry stain? Yeah, I, I don't know what happened. I like I stepped on it, and it's it? on like the side of the shoe. I have like a stain on the side what? of the shoe. Yeah, I've seen it. There, there had to have been some type of splatter situation because it is like up on the side of the shoe, <laughs> like pretty high. It, Steve, it's it really terrifying. Ruined my mood yeah. You're like yesterday. an eyewitness to this can, incident. There I, might have well, been a second blueberry this, in there. I was venting to Steven. I was like, Steven, am I going to be able to get the stain out? <laughs> There's got to be a way. Somebody's yeah. got to have some kind of solution like a to getting a blueberry I don't know wh- type deal. I don't know why, but I went to just open the whole pack and smear them all over the shoes and so that it's all blueberry. <laughs> Diet, <laughs> just change the color. People are like, that's the coolest thing ever. I, I love how Steven went right into CSI splatter in a second blueberry. <laughs> Because <laughs> it was high up on the shoe, Sean. I don't, it, know, what I don't know what happened. All I know is I spilled some blueberries, and now my shoes are kind of ruined. It's almost like, haven't you Googled like how to get out a blueberry stain? There's got to uh, be, yeah. right? be a trick. It's yeah. almost like you dropped them shoes. and what exploded on the shoe and went down. Here you <laughs> go. That high. This is from the good people at Maytag. Pre-treat the blueberry stain with white vinegar or lemon juice by saturating the stain and letting it sit for five minutes. Then rinse thoroughly with cold water from the back of the fabric to the front. Hmm. After rinsing, continue to follow the steps as designated by the fabric type. You're welcome. That's why people come to the show. Okay, so on Sunday... Or maybe even tomorrow. I'm going to watch some football, and I'm going to work on that project. But I'll probably have to go back to the grocery store to get, what do you say, vinegar and yeah, all those certain kind of vinegar. Or lemon juice. Lemon juice. White lemon vinegar. Juice. Yeah, yeah, see, don't, don't use no that. apple cider. Mm. No, that ain't going to do it. There you go. I That's can't wait what... to see your shoe on Monday. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about this weekend. <laughs> what a wild weekend. <laughs> wild. Sean's going to be sitting by the pool <laughs> scrubbing on his shoes. <laughs> I never <laughs> wanted to be 22 more. <laughs> Ladies, right for now. a good time. Put that on your Tinder profile. <laughs> I got I some white I... vinegar and... <laughs> That's a good, yeah, good bio. I could get stains out of shoes. <laughs> Charlie's in Vancouver. Charlie, what's your peeve? John, constant bombardment of the sports ticker. Can I please just see the field and the game and maybe the score down in the bottom corner? It's not 1975 when I was a kid where if it's Saturday afternoon and I miss the news, I'm not going to see it till tomorrow morning in the sports page. I can Google it. I can ask Echo. What scores of anything? Please get rid of the ticker. I don't mind the ticker, but you're right in that they're putting stuff on the ticker that doesn't belong on the ticker anymore. It used to be breaking news. Like, if it's a big deal, it should be on the ticker, but the ticker should be quiet for a while, and then it just scrolls like, you know, um, you know, I don't want to say this, but, like, the Queen Elizabeth's dead, okay? Queen Elizabeth dies. She, that she should be on the ticker. Get it out, John. That's get t- it out. That's ticker worthy. Uh-huh. Okay? Yeah. That's yeah. ticker worthy. They got a lot of stuff on there that's not ticker worthy. Did, did, did Charlie say it? It's more like for me when they do like a split cam and they show like just the coach like talking yeah. and, and they go split screen. It's like, no, just show me the field. I don't care. I don't want to watch the coach talking into his piece of paper. But you notice when they do that, it's brought to you by Energizer or it's brought to you by Pepto-Bismol. It's like sold. They're so, they've that's sold that. That's what it is, yeah. Yeah. So they pretty much have sold everything. Mm-hmm. Like try to watch the game without seeing something on your screen, whether it's on the screen as... Uh, an icon or a graphic, 
or whether you're looking into the stadium and they're scrolling advertisements that are like behind the catcher. Maybe that's something that, um, you know, the networks can upsell as people go more into streaming. Like, hey, you know, like, you know, with subscriptions and stuff, like you can subscribe to podcasts ad free. Maybe that's the next generation is for people that are sick of all that visual clutter mm. on the TV. They can upsell them into, like, not having all that stuff. I don't know why I thought about this, but when Major League Baseball said they were uh, expanding the sizes of the bases, I thought, oh, they're going to put advertising on the side of the bases. <laughs> that's, why I, that's where my brain went. Yeah, like sponsored by, like, a pillow or something. Yeah. What? By the way. My pillow. Yeah. What? Is there a problem with the bases being too small? No, I'm saying they need to get they them a little bigger. The safety players reason. can't see them? Safety. What? It was safety. Safety? Yeah, because, you know. Slide it in a second. Like Ty Cobb and uh, Honus Wagner, they were playing a different game, okay? They didn't need the big bases. How does a bigger base make it safer for the players? Because they're sliding into each other, so like yeah. now they can avoid each other they more. Avoid some contact. How more. much bigger does the base have to be? <laughs> Maybe it's they not, should have bigger shoots. It's not like guys are going in to try and take people out anymore. Yeah. Is, kind of how big is the base? Like, is it going to be like a, a like one of those things that explodes in your car? This, <laughs> the, the, you know, if you get in an accident. Honestly. Here, here's what's going to happen. What in the world is baseball doing? Second base is going to have like a like a high jump pit there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think every stadium has different sized bases. I think that's what they should do. Some yeah. have small Ooh, bases, I like some that. have big bases. Yeah, you got to you got to like Oakland and there's like a Tic Tac at second base. Yeah, there's like a zigzag <laughs> at second base. <laughs> Where is it? Where is it? It's over there somewhere. <laughs> they add a fourth base. <laughs> there you go. That's it. Four. All right, leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. If you want to read me, read me exclusively at johnconzano.com. That's where you get the columns, the breaking news, the analysis. I will have the reaction and analysis off Oregon State, Fresno State on Saturday. I will also have it off Eastern Washington and Oregon uh, today at johnconzano.com. I, I, uh, I told a heavy story. Jim Bartko, the former associate AD at the University of Oregon and, and Cal and later the athletic director at Fresno State, he passed away about two years ago. Um, I wrote about what killed him. I'll talk about it later in the show. But if you subscribe, you got it already this morning. You know what I'm talking about. You want to read it in the meantime, go to johnconzano.com and you can check that out. Uh, college football games over the weekend are exciting. The NFL's in full swing. We've got a lot of football to talk about. The 5 at 5's coming up top of the hour. By the way, who won? Who won? What's your peef? Oh, I didn't know it was a contest. I didn't know either until right now. I think I won. <laughs> you think so? Well. If it's subjective enough, I'm going to be like, I won. My friends are blowing up my phone saying that they all apply for credit cards while on airlines. Oh. So. Well, I stand corrected then. One of, one of them said he was on the way to Vegas when he got a credit card on an airline. Can you get a cash advance? That <laughs> probably right. Good timing. Well, that's the thing is, it must work. Like, they do it because they must get enough of a response from people yeah. to continue doing it. I'll so. bet you the flight attendants are getting uh, a piece of the oh, action. Oh, kickbacks. If, for everyone they get, they get a point. 
and then there's a point system. They get to go to uh, Cancun or something. Uh huh. You know. Well, they already get to fly for I, free, but yeah, but I think some there's some there's some funny business going on there. Yeah, feels a little bit like the. <laughs> you mean fu- an incentive? Yeah, <laughs> could be. I had another peeve. You know, my other peeve was it didn't make the cut. Yeah. It was why is it that servers in restaurants, not all, but some, think their job is to interrupt your conversation at the table repeatedly? Oh, it's true. They're just doing their job. Yeah, but I've worked in that situation. If somebody's having a deep conversation, you kind of just say, hey, excuse me, you know, yeah. could I get you some more? But I, I feel like that's happening more frequently. They probably think it's funny to make everyone stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at you. You're so powerful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make you guys stop. It's like in first or grade or kindergarten when somebody's the wake-up fairy for nap time. That's a lot of power <laughs> in one person's fairy. hands. The 5 at 5 is coming up. We got the five most interesting big stories going on. We will share them, and we'll give some analysis. It's always a good time on a Friday on this radio show, and I appreciate that you are along for the ride. Hour number three is the happy hour. That is ahead statewide right here on the Bald Face Truth. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. It's the happy hour, the 5 o'clock hour here in the Bald Face Truth. We've got all the big stories, the five biggest stories going on in sports. Plus a whole bunch more. Appreciate that you're here for this radio show and in particular this hour. Anna and I are going to give you these five big stories. I want you here for it. Let's do it. The Five at Five. Well, let's start with this Don Staley story. BYU, South Carolina women's basketball canceled the... South Carolina BYU basketball series. BYU has since come out and it has said that an investigation determined that the racist incident that happened at the uh, BYU volleyball event didn't happen. The investigation into the accusation that a Duke player was subjected to racial slurs during a match in Provo last month found no evidence, the school announced. There was no proof of racial heckling, and they unbanned the fan that they had banned originally. Don Staley says she's standing by her decision to cancel the BYU-South Carolina basketball series. I thought she was a little bit... I think she jumped the gun a little bit in canceling that, but BYU now saying that the fan did not utter racial slurs after everybody after they already apologized i don't know there's something here that it doesn't feel right the duke athletic director expressed uh, support for the players and uh, they're standing by the story and byu is reiterating its commitment to a zero tolerance policy it's a weird story guys i don't quite know what to make of it BYU says it's disappointed with South Carolina's decision. Don Staley's standing by it. But BYU says they don't have evidence that this even happened. What are we talking about? It's wild. 
Anna, number two, go. Am I the last person to know that Drake was at Nike headquarters this week along with a whole bunch of other people? I guess he was like shooting three pointers in a skills contest against Carmelo Anthony. Interesting. And he wasn't bad. He was draining most of his shots. It's a little different to shoot your shot in a skills competition than it is in a game situation. <laughs> I know. You're in the driveway. Still. Not bad. Um, he also, while hanging out in Beaverton, got the Nike swoosh braided into his hair. Like That's... on his head, which That's... I'm retweeting that right now because it looks very interesting. Um, but yeah, what's what, there's like all these people at Nike this week. Drake, uh, Griffey, Bo, Westbrook. I, I don't, what's going on at Nike? I don't know. Are they releasing a new They're probably shoe? I, I They're believe, just being, yeah. I believe in the LeBron James building was opening up. Oh, was that uh, what it was? They're celebrating. LeBron. Love that. That's number two. Number three in our five at five. Let's turn the attention to Major League Baseball. I mentioned it earlier in the show, but I'm going to double down on it. Major League Baseball changing the rules, but it wasn't a unanimous vote. They have banned defensive shifts for next season. They have uh, made uh, the pitcher. They put a clock on the pitcher now, 15 seconds to deliver the ball. It's going to speed up the games. I don't know if this is going to help bring young people to the games, but it's going to make the games, I think, a little faster, a little more entertaining, not drag on as long. That's the big criticism of baseball. And... Uh, by the way, you're no longer allowed to disengage with the pitching rubber liberally. Like a pitcher who could disengage with the rubber, step off, step off, can't do that anymore. Um, if you uh, have a pitch clock, you got to throw the ball at some point. Or it's a ball. Number three, Anna, go. Why are they doing this? Speed up the game. Come on, speed uh, it up. Okay. Pick it up. Uh, well, okay, so all these reports, I know we've been talking about it for weeks but tom brady and giselle definitely some issues going on what do you mean it's just it there's reports now that she's li living separately from him that she's there there's like no indication that she's gonna be at the first game there's no travel plans she's you know that's different she normally has been very supportive and very present. Yeah, but there, there's a lot of wives in the NFL that don't go to the games. Yeah. So, but she's reportedly not living in the family compound and is living separately. So, there's there's reason Something's for awry. concern here. Something is awry. Something is Something awry in Brady land. Yeah. Maybe she's only going to come to the important games. <laughs> Maybe. I forgot what number we're on. I'm not rooting for them to split up. I hope they. I hope they're fine. She wasn't excited about his vast singer performance. <laughs> it's your turn. Number five. Yeah, five. You, you. <laughs> I was counting. Counting I is started, the hardest part of this show. Yeah, because I'm focused on the actual stories. How about this one? George Kittle, 49ers try it in. He missed a second straight practice yesterday with a groin injury. His status for Sunday's opener against the Bears is up in the air. His coach was asked about his availability today on KNBR Radio in San Francisco. And the answer was, I don't know yet. I'm hoping it will be all right. I'm trying to think positively on it. Think positively? 
that's where we are with the game plan. 49ers practice today. They will issue some injury designations later today. I haven't seen them yet. And we'll know if Kittle is unable to play in the opener. The Niners, I think, I'm telling you, I don't feel it right now for the Niners. I kind of feel like this is a franchise that is hoping and wishing and not making a bunch of good plans. Just hoping and wishing, that's not a game plan. George Kittle, questionable for the 49ers in the opener against the Bears. That's the five at five. Guys, can we back up to the BYU story for a second? So initially when this happened, tremendous empathy for the Duke volleyball player who was trying to serve and apparently somebody uh, you know, was heckling and they said it was racial slurs and the BYU AD apologized and everybody got mad and the fan got banned and then BYU says we're investigating and then Don Staley at South Carolina says we're not going to play them. This home and home is off. Um, I thought she jumped the gun a little bit because I was like, well, wait a minute. Why would you punish your whole team and the whole BYU team for something some idiot racist fan did? But Don Staley's standing by that, saying, we're not playing this series. Now BYU is saying, we investigated, and we don't think there was a racial slur. We can't find evidence of it. Guys, can we just for a second kick this around? How bizarre is this? Super bizarre. Um, yeah, I don't know what to, I don't know how to go about it because, again, if you're Don Staley... You want to stand with your players, what she did. She did a great job. But if there's nothing to be proven that they did it, do you go back on your decision? Does that make it look better? Does that make it look worse? I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss for what would be the right decision to do, uh, especially if you're Duke in this situation. I kind of want to know, like, was she right? Let's just say this. It, let's just say there was a racial slur. Is Don Staley right to cancel that game and punish her team or punish BYU's team for something a f- idiot fan. Let's just say there was some idiot racist fan in the stands for BYU. Something somebody that person did. BYU banned the person, got rid of him. Is it right for the coach at South Carolina to say we're not playing them anymore? I, I think so. Why? Why is it punishing South Carolina by not doing that that trip, that home and home? They're not going to get to play the game. Right. The players. The pure players get two fewer games this season. I I could see why you know the second Don Staley hears that that story and you know that what happened in in Provo, just to abort mission and you know it's just a complete it, that's a complete disaster what happened over there in Provo and you want nothing to do with it like a complete red flag. So I I could see why, but now it's interesting that you know BYU went and they they didn't find any evidence and now you know Staley's taking some criticism for it. Yeah, it's hard, though. It's kind of like BYU investigated its own, like, situation, Yeah, right? it turns out we're not Interview- racist. Right. Interviewed 50 <laughs> yeah. players, reviewed surveillance footage, raw footage, recordings from the match, found no evidence that this was the case. I think the bigger issue really here is kind of the history of the Church of, you know, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, widely known as the Mormon Church, and how race relations continues to be still one of the most sensitive issues for that faith. I mean, this is a faith that in the past had banned black church members from, you know, serving in the lay priesthood or even further back, you know, was rooted in a belief that the that, that black skin was a curse. I mean, that is like the long-term context of, of this whole situation. Yeah, I agree with that. And so, but what I'm thinking is why schedule them in the first place if you aren't comfortable with BYU? Like if you're Don Staley, 
Like, I, I like Dawn Staley. I like what she stands for. I like that she's got an opinion. I just, I don't think I would have done what she did as the solution. Because I think you are, if you sign on to play that game, you're saying we want to play, we're going to play this home-and-home home series with BYU. Then this story breaks. Then you go, we're not playing this thing. We, I, I don't feel comfortable playing this game anymore. Okay, that's fine. I want to hear more about why you don't feel comfortable. But I, but I, like, it wasn't a BYU athlete that did this. It wasn't an administrator at BYU that did this. It yeah. wasn't a coach at BYU. It was a fan. And I thought Tom Homo, the BYU AD, um, showed a lot of empathy. Like, he went to the Duke player and personally apologized in person to her and said, I, I will not let this happen. That fan will be banned. I felt like BYU's reaction, at least initially, was the right reaction. Yeah, sure, but doesn't it always come back to recruiting? Because, like, Don Staley has to be able to show future players that she will, in the face of even, like, murky facts, you know, stand with that player um, at, at, at nearly all costs. She's taking heat now. Yeah, yeah, well, I think, you know, it doesn't it doesn't really necessarily mean that Don Staley's blaming BYU the athletes, BYU the athletic department, but, you know, she saw what happened, and she doesn't want the same thing to happen to the uh, the South Carolina players. You know, like she, like the fans could, the fans matter, right? Like the all fans. Right, so why not just say, we'll, we'll play the series, but we're only going to play the home game? Hmm. I wonder if that's out of question, you know. Or we'll play the series. I want both games in South Carolina. We don't want to go there. I I, can, I would respect that. But now I don't know. I don't know what to make of BYU's thing. And I agree with you guys that I'm not totally comfortable with BYU investigating itself. You know. Yeah. Yeah. What would have happened if they did find something? Would they have came out and admitted it? What if BYU came out and said, you know what? Turns out we got a lot of racist fans. You know, we found you know, it wasn't an isolated incident. No, that's not going to happen. Yeah, I don't see that press release happening. I, I do think this raises a question about kind of fan behavior at games. I, I think fans have gotten more unruly, taken more liberties. I think we've lost sort of our civility as a society. Uh, social media may be partly to blame for that. But I, I, I have seen fans say things and do things in the last five or six years that I'd never seen before. And some of it is I think the fans are closer to the field, closer to the court, but I think people in general have sort of lost, like there's, there's, there's this Karen mentality out there, and some people have lost their way. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, that's apparent from all the fights that are breaking out at various, you know, sports venues. And, oh, oh by the way, have you been to a youth, you know, youth sports event lately? Like, parents, let's check yourselves, all right? It's not you on the field. Just everybody take a breath. Because yeah, we can all agree that, like, racist stuff can't happen at games, right? Like, if it does happen, that it's there's no room for it anywhere. And so even if there are rumors of it, I understand, like, taking a proactive a- approach and saying, you know, we can't even play there. But it is weird that they canceled both games and the game back. I don't, I don't know. It is a weird situation. But obviously there's just no room for that kind of stuff uh, without the fans. I kind of think she didn't want to play the games anyway. That, that's kind of where I like. I just didn't. I I think she probably looked at the schedule and thought we could do without those games. And you know what? I don't feel good about it. We're not gonna play. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I I hope that if you're at a sporting event, and what would you guys do? You're at a sporting event, and somebody around you is saying something racist to someone on the court. What would you do? Honestly, what would you do? Oh, I would speak up right right away, <laughs> right away. 
you know, and and see where that went. Because I, I, I wouldn't be able to just sit by and just be silent. Yeah, and at the bare minimum, you can report it to somebody as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope I hope people would speak up. Yeah, I hope they would. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with the Pulse from six to seven on seven fifty. The game. The great Peter Sampson coming up top of the hour right here on seven fifty. The game. Make sure you're here for the Pulse. If you're not listening to the Pulse, what are you doing? College football weekend. Lot to talk about. Uh, later in the show, I'm going to tell you what we're not talking about. It's not Bruno. We're not talking about something. All week we haven't talked about it. I'll tell you what it is later in the program. Uh, I want to I want to hit on these college football games, guys. We haven't uh, we haven't really gone through our picks for the week. Uh, we do it early in the week. I'd like to get back to it. Um, Oregon State at Fresno State. How are we feeling? How is the room feeling about the Beavers? I am feeling better about them than I was early in the week. I think they'll deal with the heat. I think that is a big question. But I just I like their resilience. I like their toughness. I think Oregon State is going to win at Fresno State. Steven, Sean, Anna, how are we feeling about this game? I am I'm not feeling great about it. I am leaning Oregon State. Last week I thought Boise State was going to get the win, but Oregon State did impress me a lot, and so they kind of changed my opinion a little bit. Um, I think Oregon State goes down there and gets the win. And I said this before: Oregon State at two and zero, probably going to be three and zero if they win this game against Fresno. They have to be taken seriously as a Pac-12 you know, type team that can get to Vegas. So I think Oregon State gets the job done uh, tomorrow. I just like what they were doing in the Boise State game. I think it continues down there in Fresno. From everything that we saw week one, I think if Oregon State can go to Fresno and win this game with everything against them, the heat, you're on the road, crazy fans, you know, night game, just everything about this game is just so awkward and precarious for Oregon State. I legit think they could be Pac-12 championship contenders if they win this game. Oh, man, I don't want to be this naysayer here. Um, but uh, hearing 0-6, I know it's a different team every year, but, man, that, that presents some challenges. And that area and the heat and the atmosphere of the stadium I think it might be too much. I don't know. I'm nervous for them. I actually think it's an opportunity. I think you, everybody's kind of talking around it. I think, Sean, you hit on it, too. Like, if if they can go into that environment, last year they were not a good road team. They were 1-6 away from Research Stadium, 6-0 and at home. Mm-hmm. That's reflective, I think, of a team that's trying to take a step forward. This this is a major test. They're gonna In two weeks, they're going to play USC at home. I'm I'm actually more worried about Oregon State in this game than I am in two weeks against USC. Not not in you know worried about them winning or whatnot, but I think this is, at, to your point, Anna, this is something they haven't been good at mm-hmm. going on the road, but I, I feel like they're ready to take that step. Mm-hmm. Well, I they feel t- like they, they took yeah. that first step of winning the opening game, right? Jonathan yes. Smith and Denner done never done that either, so I think this might be one of those seasons where they take a couple steps forward. It really looked that way with Chance Nolan, so I do like Oregon State's chances tomorrow. And they're probably ranked if they win this game? Yeah, I think they're top 25 if they win this game. Somewhere between 20 and 25. Huge opportunity. Yeah, I think, you know, in, I think their middle of their schedule is tough. They host USC. They go to Utah in successive weeks. Um, after that, though, they're at Stanford. They're home against Washington State. They're home against Colorado. They're at Washington. They're home against Cal. Uh, I think there's some chance here for Oregon State to make some hay 
I'm picking them in this game. We're not going to talk about every game in this segment. We're going to talk about the, the games that are kind of up in the air. How about Mississippi State at Arizona? How you feeling, Stephen, about Arizona and 11.5 points? Man, the more it gets closer to game time, the more I'm liking Arizona. And I liked them last week against San Diego State. The 8 o'clock kickoff, I think, is going to be crazy. Like, it's crazy that Mississippi State is playing an 8 o'clock game when it kicks off. And to get get double-digit points, I think this team is different for Arizona. Jet Fish, I think, is a solid coach. James Delora, I think, is a good quarterback. I don't know that he's great, but he's a good quarterback that can be um, a playmaker, that can throw the ball down the field. So, I like Arizona. Wacky things happen. Pac-12 after dark. I kind of want to pick Arizona outright, but uh, give me the pl- the points for sure. I'm going to pump the brakes on that. I-, I like Mississippi State, the SEC. It's a team that won 49-23 to over Memphis last week, um, and I, I just think uh, they're going to be, you know, Arizona had all offseason to prep for San Diego State. San Diego State's got some stuff going on. I think they had some distractions for that week one game. And uh, I just, I don't see it. I, I think Mississippi State wins. It was interesting. We started the week with a Mike Leach interview. You guys remember that, you know, I think it was Tuesday. Leach called me on Monday night. It was after midnight, his time. I've been thinking about that in the last day. They're playing a game that's going to kick off at 11 p.m. time in Mississippi. I'm I'm thinking there was a reason why Mike Leach was up late. I think they were practicing late this week. I think they were in meetings late this week. I think he shifted the whole schedule forward. I think Mississippi State wins the game, but I think there's like 75 points scored in this game, and I think it's closer than the 11.5-point spread. So I like Arizona plus the points, but I think Mississippi State wins the game. Anna, you got a thought on this game? Um, I kind of agree with you on Mike Leach preparing his team. He's He's a smart coach, so... Same thing. I wouldn't be surprised if they were kind of conditioning for a late game like that. But I do think that that crowd at home in Arizona yeah. is, uh, I don't want to say overwhelming, but definitely a factor in a victory for Arizona. I think the public hasn't caught up to the fact, too, that Arizona has improved. Like, I, I think we talk about it, but I don't think the the people outside of the western part of the United States realize that Arizona is much better than they were a year ago. Uh, another game that is going to matter, Washington State's going to Wisconsin. This game's kicking off at 12.30 Pacific time on Fox tomorrow. Cougars are a 17.5-point underdog. I don't. I wanted to pick them as an, in an upset. I can't do it after their Week 1 performance. I think Wisconsin wins it, but I'll take the 17.5. That's a lot of points for the way Wisconsin plays. So I think I think Washington State covers but loses this game. I agree with you 100%. I I don't feel good about it because of how bad Washington State looked in week one, but I never have faith in Wisconsin to blow out these power five teams. So I do think the potential is there with Cam Ward. We talked about this, how he could be really good. Maybe it just was the first week jitters he had. Who knows? But, you know, I'm not willing to write off the Cougars quite yet. Uh, I think it'll they'll stay within the three scores. I don't know. I'm kind of getting Oregon-Georgia vibes with this, where, like, <laughs> we see 17.5, we think it's too much uh, for a team that's, you know, a little bit more physical, not as much, um, you know, ball in the air. But I think, you know, Wisconsin's just going to be bigger, faster, stronger, and they're going to they're gonna kind of punch Washington State in the mouth. I, I could see them covering the 17.5. USC at Stanford. First Pac-12 game of the year in the Bay Area. Everybody wondering if USC is really that good. Stanford, are they good enough to beat USC? Steven, you go first. Yes, they are. I think I think Stanford's going to win this game. Um, I know it's a lot of points, but I, I said it before. I, I think David Shaw, his team is a lot more talented. 
than what the people are talking about. So the home game, I think it's USC's first game on the road with Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams. I think there's going to be a little bit of a struggle. The the over-under is really high in that game. So Vegas is expecting Stanford to score some points and be physical. I think Stanford's going to be able to run the football on USC in that defense. So I, I like Stanford in the upset. Stanford getting nine points in that game. You should bet that all day. Is that your five-star blue chip pick of the week? <laughs> yep. There it is. He's the point, take the points. The points at the lock, yeah. Points. Stanford with the points. Sean, you agree? Yeah, I agree they're going to be within nine points. I saw it was like it opened up at like plus 12, and then there's been a lot of action on Stanford. It's moved down. But uh, I still think USC finds a way to win, but I could see this. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, this is like the primetime ESPN game. ABC at 4.30. Yeah, yeah. so I, I think this is going to be a really good game, and I think Stanford's going to surprise a lot of people, but I think Lincoln Riley and USC will find a way to win. I got USC 31-24 over Stanford. I think it's closer than the spread, but I would love to see Stanford win this game and and uh, you know upset what is uh, what everybody thinks is going to happen in the Pac-12. All right, coming up, uh, we're not going to talk about Bruno, but we're going to talk about that other thing that nobody's talking about this week, Oregon. The Oregon Ducks. Why are we not talking? Why are people not interested in talking about Oregon and Eastern Washington? I have theories on that. Plus, later in the show, I'll give you a story that you need to hear about. You got the bald-faced truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. You know, we haven't talked a lot this week about this Eastern Washington-Oregon game. I think in part because I think a lot of Oregon fans probably didn't want to talk about Oregon football this week. Like, I think after the debacle in Atlanta, there was probably a faction of Oregon fans that, you know, again, let let me digress. Sports is supposed to be the diversion, right? It's supposed to be the diversion from regular life. It's supposed to be the diversion from jobs, taxes, the bad boss, crying kids, the weeds in the backyard, like sports is supposed to take us away. But when the sports feel like they felt last weekend in Atlanta, like that wasn't fun. That wasn't the escape that Oregon fans were hoping for, especially Oregon fans who went to the game. And so I think there was some rapid reaction on Saturday evening as people, especially uh, Big Duck fans, were lamenting what went wrong, changed the coach, changed the quarterback, changed the play call, changed the rhythm, throw everything out and start over, just start all the way over. Like, I get it, and I understand why fans went to that place because it was pretty dismal. But um, I think Saturday night there was some of that. Sunday there was some of that. I certainly saw it in the comment section at johnconzano.com, which is, uh, I think, the best comment section that I've ever been a part of. A really productive discussion. People... Uh, coming with solutions instead of just belly aching, like you know, I think there's just a quality to the comment section in there that is different than the other places. Maybe there's some accountability. Maybe it's because for subscribers and uh, and free subscribers and paid subscribers, there's just some level like there's a loss of anonymity in there. So it's I think it's nice to have like productive discussions. But anyway, I digress. Again, Sunday became kind of a escape day I think for Duck fans because I think they got away from the football. Monday was a holiday, Labor Day, and then came Eastern Washington. And I think Oregon fans are well aware that it's going to be a warm weekend, and the opponent, it's not a high-caliber opponent, and 
everyone expects Oregon will beat Eastern Washington. Like that's it's unthinkable to to uh, consider that they won't. But I I just think people checked out a little bit on the Ducks this week, and maybe I checked out a little bit on them too because I spent all of last week or good part of last week talking about that Oregon Georgia opener. I was live in Atlanta on Thursday and Friday with this radio show, and then came the ass kicking that was the game on Saturday night, forty nine to three. Everything went right for Stetson Bennett and the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, they look unbeatable. They look like a team that could repeat as national champions. And Oregon looked terrible. And there were questions about Bo Nix and where's Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield and why isn't Dan Lanning putting those guys in and giving them an opportunity? Well, here comes Eastern Washington. And maybe I didn't do a good job this week of talking enough about the Ducks. Like, here I am on Friday in the late hours of the show going, you know what, man, we spent a lot of time talking about the Beavers Spent a lot of time talking about the Pac-12 and other stuff and, you know, whether or not the, uh, you know, Chris Pine got spit on and, you know, moment of silence for Queen Elizabeth. May she rest in peace. Uh, And maybe didn't talk enough about Oregon, Dan Lanning and the Ducks and Eastern Washington and and what is, I think, a really interesting bounce-back opportunity for Oregon. See, here's three things that I came up with today. Just thinking about the Ducks that I need to see at Autzen Stadium from Dan Landing and the Oregon Ducks. One, I need to see some tempo on offense. There was a lot of huddling up and standing around in Atlanta, and I almost felt like it sort of suggested to me that Oregon wasn't prepared or that maybe Oregon was trying to shorten the game. It it did not remind me of a team that was uh, busy going somewhere, uh, what I saw. Just the energy level on offense. I want to see some alacrity from Oregon's offense. I want to see them find some tempo. Snap the ball when Eastern Washington's not ready once in a while. Get to the line of scrimmage. Look like they're in a hurry, like they're going somewhere, like they want to squeeze in as many plays as they possibly can in playing the football game. Chip Kelly's teams did that. Hell, Mark Helfrich and Willie Taggart did it. Cristobal, Mario Cristobal didn't do it as much, but you always got the sense that they had some purpose on game day. Like, they might screw it up, but... At least they had some purpose. They were aware of what they wanted to try to accomplish. I want to see that against an inferior opponent. I want Oregon to kind of channel what Georgia was channeling against the Ducks, so to speak. You know, I asked the question on yesterday's show, bigger gap between Georgia and Oregon or Oregon and Eastern Washington. Like, there's a gap there, right? So I want to see that tempo and energy from the Ducks on, a, on the offensive side of the ball. Number two. And I would have made this number one, but I think it's a bigger picture thing, the tempo. But number two on my list of my three things I need to see from Oregon on on Saturday. I need to see Bo Nix play well, make good decisions. Show me why you were named the starter. Like, if that's the question I can ask Bo Nix as he's walking out for the first series, show me why Dan Lanning believed in you. Show me why, you know, Kenny Dillingham... The offensive coordinator said, this is our guy. Like, this is the guy we want to put in there. And if it's not Bo Nix that walks out there on Saturday, if it's Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield, the question would be tweaked a little bit, but it would still be, hey, here's your opportunity. Go demonstrate for everybody inside Autzen Stadium and watching at home or the rest of us, uh, you know, who are watching this game on TV or whatnot. Demonstrate why you belong in that uniform, in that offense. It should be a privilege and an honor to put on 
that Oregon football jersey and suit up as the quarterback in a quarterback-centric game on game day. Show me something. Bo Nix did not show me anything a week ago. And I want to give him a mulligan because it was Georgia. And maybe that Georgia defense by the end of the year, maybe that defense ends up making other quarterbacks look skittish, unprepared, not very good. Because that's what Bo Nix looked like. He looked rattled. So go out and show me what you have against an Eastern Washington team that you should be able to do that. Give us some confidence heading to week three where BYU is coming to Autzen Stadium that, that suggests that Oregon can win that game, that it has the right quarterback. And if it's Ty Thompson, you've waited. We've waited to see you. If it's Jay Butterfield, you've waited, and we've waited to see you. Saw these guys in the spring game and left it going probably Bo Nix. So opportunity time for whoever's playing quarterback and if I'm Dan Lanning, I play more than one guy against Eastern Washington. I think the fans want to see it. I think the you know the the fact of the matter is you're in a game that relies upon you having a quarterback you can trust on game day. Best teams in this conference will have quarterbacks who are good and calm and poised and can operate an offense and are playing with confidence. As Pat Casey said so many times, confidence is comfort, and comfort is confidence. That's interchangeable. So if I'm Dan Lanning, and he's up two or three scores in the second half in this game, I want to see Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield take some snaps if they're not already in the game in the first half. I want to see him play more than one quarterback. I want somebody to get some reps before it's your moment of truth. We didn't get that last year, really. We didn't. I think Mario Cristobal was very conservative in how he handled his quarterbacks. So I want to see that. Number three thing, and this is a big one, and I know fans on message boards and on social media were really disappointed with Oregon's defense, but the guy in particular that is carrying the brunt of that criticism is Noah Sewell, the linebacker. We all know the Sewell family. Gabriel Sewell and Arlene Sewell had five kids. Four of them played college football. Two of them are in the NFL right now, including Panay, who people know from Oregon. But Gabriel was on social media in the wake of the game, mixing it up with fans who were being critical of his son. Now, I don't blame him for that. I might be in the same position if my son or my daughter were playing a sport and people were criticizing him on Twitter. But Noah Sewell needs to do the talking. He needs to do it with his shoulder pads. He needs to do it by running around and making more than two tackles. That's what he had against Georgia. And I think a large part of that was what Georgia was doing on offense. Noah Sewell had an offensive guard or a tight end in his face for most of the game. He was a non-factor. Oregon's leading tackler was a defensive back who was catching wide receivers and running backs 15 or 20 yards downfield. So I want to see Noah Sewell have the kind of game that we expect from a dominant player in a in a period of time where dominant players rule college football, Oregon has one in 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 their linebacker. You know, we expect that guy's going to play in the NFL. Go out against Eastern Washington and be a wrecking ball. So those are the three things I'm looking at from Oregon. And apologies to Duck fans who tune into the show. And I didn't get the impression that you were all that interested in talking that much about this Eastern Washington game, but we are now. You know, a day away, kickoff's tomorrow. The three things I want to see is I want to see some alacrity and some energy and some tempo on offense. I want to see whoever's playing quarterback at Oregon justify that they are in uniform and under center. And I want to see Noah Sewell be disruptive. Disruptive.
That's what I need from Oregon on Saturday. Tweet at me at John Canzano BFT. Tell me what you need to see from the Ducks on Saturday. You've got the bald face truth. Leave it here. Coming up, I'm going to tell you one thing, probably the most important thing I learned this week. I'll share it with you next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I wrote a column today that uh, I probably couldn't have written had I worked at, you know, a daily newspaper. Uh, For people who don't know, I've gone rogue, gone out on my own, did it about five months ago. JohnConzano.com is where you read my columns now. And uh, the beauty of what I'm doing now is that I can write whatever I want, wherever I want. I'm not limited. I'm not told by an editor, write this or go here and... And uh, I'm having a lot of fun with it. And for those of you who already subscribed, you know that. You get it delivered to your email inbox the minute I publish. If you are a free subscriber, paid subscriber, whatever you are, you are kept apprised of what is going on and what I'm thinking and where my head is. And you're, you're getting a chance to read some stuff that uh, I could not have probably convinced an editor to let me write. So this morning was a great example of that. I wrote this morning about Jim Bartko. Maybe some of you know Jim Bartko. He was a fundraiser. He worked in the University of Oregon Athletic Department for years. He was very good at his job. If you saw Phil Knight at uh, games over the years, you probably saw Jim Bartko walking alongside him. Part of his job at Oregon was to sort of be that liaison between the university and the university's chief donor. Um, Jim Bartko died a couple years ago. He collapsed in a gym in Eugene. They rushed him to the hospital. Doctors tried to save him, but he died of a massive abdominal hemorrhage. He was 54. He had two kids. Um, His liver gave out, is what they say, but that is not what killed Jim Bartko. A priest killed Jim Bartko. A secret killed Jim Bartko. A betrayal killed Jim Bartko. Jim Bartko, when he was seven years old, was um, molested by a priest. Father Stephen Kisili, now defrocked, convicted serial molester, preyed on a seven-year-old Jimmy Bartko, groomed him with compliments and affection, coached his youth basketball team. It later turned out that there were more than 300 children that this priest allegedly abused. Jim Bartko grew up, got married, had those kids, kept this secret. For more than four decades. I met him in passing over the years, working as a columnist here in the state of Oregon. Bartko went on. He left University of Oregon, went to Cal, then uh, went to Fresno State where he became the athletic director. And I got to thinking about him this week because Oregon State, as we all know, plays at Fresno State tomorrow. And they play in what used to be known as Bulldog Stadium. When Jim Bartko got the job at Fresno State, he told me that he was going to rebuild Bulldog Stadium. He launched a $60 million plan to upgrade it, expand it, improve the concessions, improve the restrooms, and just make it just a kick-ass stadium. You know, the Central Valley uh, creates all this food for the rest of the world. You know, yesterday's show, it came up. You know, you probably have, you probably ate something this week that was created by the farmers in the Central Valley of California. Grapes. 
I know I go into the Safeway grocery store and the grapes I buy, the Castle Rock grapes. I know the farmer who owns the who owns the grape farm, who owns the vineyards. So um, that's that valley. But that Bulldog Stadium is sort of like the cathedral in that area. There's nowhere else that 35 or 36,000 people gather anywhere in that region. There's just not. There's no other venue like that. But it's crumbling, and it's old. And Jim Bartko, um, six months into the job, unveiled this stadium renovation project uh, that he never got a chance to finish. He had issues. We all know that. I met with Jim Barco a couple times over the years and had coffee with him and talked with him and stayed in touch with him. And a lot of you who know him know that he was the kind of person that would just check in for no reason at all and say hello. Um, I did not know that he had a traumatized childhood. I did not know that he was carrying that shame and the guilt and, and the damage that was done by that priest for all those years. Um, he was a gentle guy, but behind the scenes, his life was crumbling. At Fresno State, he did some really good things. Um, he came through the doors, and he inherited a football program that was 1-11 the year before he arrived. He fired Tim DeRuiter, who was the head coach. Oregon fans may remember DeRuiter as the um, defensive guy under Mario Cristobal. He replaced DeRuiter with a gutsy hire. He went back to his time at Oregon, and he hired Jeff Tedford, who had had some health issues who had not worked as a head coach in five years before Bartko hired him. And that very first year, Tedford won 10 games. The next year, he won 12. It was a home run. I mean, it was an amazing hire by an athletic director who probably should have had a parade thrown for him. But instead, as we later found out behind the scenes, Bartko was in trouble. He was drowning in anxiety. He was unable to cope. His wife filed for divorce. His coworkers noted that his breath sometimes smelled of alcohol. I wrote all about it today at johnconzano.com. Finally, he was called into a meeting. University president and vice president um, said, you are incompetent and you're an alcoholic. You can either be fired for cause or you can resign and we'll give you a severance. He did not, uh, he was afraid of what a public termination would, would be like for him, and so he quit. He resigned. Oregon hired him a few months later as a fundraiser. He got some counseling, he hired a trainer, he lost some weight, and he started writing a book. I know this because I met with him. I had coffee with him not far from my house, and he brought me the manuscript for his book as he was writing it. And he said, will you proofread this? Will you give me some thoughts on this? And he was writing it along uh, with a gentleman who you may be familiar with in the state of Oregon. Um, you know, Bob Welch, who was a sports writer. Um, ends up writing this book called Boy in the Mirror with Jim Barco. So I read the book. I gave him some thoughts on it, some feedback. But I also know that uh, I had no idea until I opened that binder what Jim Barco had been through. That priest gave a seven-year-old boy sips of wine, built trust with him, systematically abused him, along with a whole bunch of others. And Jim Barco was writing that book, he said, because he felt shameful and guilty that he didn't come forward as a seven-year-old kid and tell somebody what that priest had done to him. He felt like he had enabled that priest to go on doing what he did for years and years and years before he was eventually convicted as a felon, defrocked by the Catholic Church. And, you know, Jim Barco felt like the book in some respect was maybe it was going to help somebody else. Maybe somebody would read it, and it would help them cope with what they were going through.
He was always thinking about other people. The book was published in the spring of 2020. Jim Bartko still was struggling. He held a news conference to publicize the book. Four days later, he went to work out in that gym, and he collapsed, and he died. They said uh, cirrhosis of the liver, but it really was a priest that killed him. That priest, that creep priest, abused him and killed him all those years later. Um, I'm going to think about Jim Bartko at kickoff on Saturday. And I encourage you maybe to think a little bit about him as well if you tune into that Oregon State-Fresno State game and you see Bulldog Stadium. It's going to look nice on TV. They got new turf. But the venue is badly outdated. The press box roof is caving in. They can't even open the windows to the press box, I'm told. And so just this week, Fresno State, I saw, announced that it's, quote-unquote, exploring options to make improvements to the stadium. They're going to take a look at it. Um, My question for Fresno State is, is there anybody there who's, really willing to take Jim Bartko's vision and complete the work that he started. Like Jim Bartko had always seen the good in things. I only wish that he had more time to see the good in himself. That priest took that from him. I'll think about him at kickoff. I'll think about the work he did. I'll think about the people that he impacted. And I'll think about the tragedy. You know, that priest is still alive, by the way. He's in the Bay Area. He's 75 years old. I wish that I could tell you that he's no longer hurting anybody, but as I investigated uh, that priest, Stephen Casilli, uh, as in writing the piece I wrote this morning, I found out that he made some news earlier this year. He got into a car while intoxicated, according to police. He veered onto a sidewalk outside of a retirement home, and he ran over a 64-year-old retiree who was out for an evening walk with his wife. I keep thinking about the number of times that priest should have been put away over the years. In the 1970s, in the 1980s, I keep thinking about what could have been done, what more could have been done, the adults that could have stepped in and done something, and uh, it's, it's shameful. That priest is now facing charges of gross vehicular manslaughter. But Jim Bartko gets the final word, not the priest, today on this show. I'm not giving the final word to that disgraced priest. It's the heavy story. But I'll tell you this. Jim Bartko touched a lot of people. He helped a lot of people. He always seemed to want to do the right thing. He was kind. He was considerate. When he passed away, I, my phone blew up afterwards, and people said, this can't be true. He was such a nice guy. What happened to him? What, he's too young. He's 54 years old. Maybe in some small, strange way, when Oregon State and Fresno State kick off, I'll take a look around Bulldog Stadium, and I'll... I'll see what Jim Bartko saw. I'll see the hope in things. I'll see the good in things. So much of what we do in life is spent criticizing and poking at and prodding and telling people they're not good enough, they're not enough. Maybe this weekend what we ought to do is maybe try to see the, the see life the way Jim Bartko saw it. You know, He saw the potential of Bulldog Stadium. I hope they do finish that stadium. And I hope the rest of us can have a good weekend seeing the potential in each other.